Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnke. And as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Good to be here at the Sands Pants headquarters. Can That's, you believe it? Yes. Look at this. We're looking around the room. Oh, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's beautiful. There's, there's, there's foliage in it. There's plants. Yeah. <laughs> There's a 2007 podcast award. That's 2017. Right. <laughs> oh, 2007 wasn't us. Yeah, 2007. <laughs> not sure podcasts were real. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> 2007 podcast award team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said that in a funny order, didn't I? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think that I'm, I'm what you meant. That was a pretty normal order to me, yeah. Super normal. <laughs> but who are these fantastic voices? Well, uh, sadly, Jess Perkins couldn't be with us this week, and it takes not one but two people to replace <laughs> yeah, her. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> so we are joined by our Sans Pants radio friends, Cass Page and Jackson Bailey. Thank you so much for having us. You Gangs both take up one, one half. Part of Jess. Top half or bottom which, half? Yeah, which half of you? Uh, I want to go top half. Oh, yeah. no! No! <laughs> no! <laughs> the legs. No, the, honestly, I, I Jess's get most she famous part is her, is her powerful legs. She's got very powerful legs. She's strong. <laughs> she can <laughs> leg press like a boulder. <laughs> yeah. If but you're ever in Jesus. trouble, you'll want her to be around and as but long as that trouble half. is a boulder <laughs> on top of you because she will be able to just kick it off. Oh, that's cool. Although the top half does have the laugh, which is the other one. Oh, okay. Hey, suck shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'll suck shit off the boulder. Okay. Also also got Jess's wit there. Appreciate that. Uh, Well, (laughs) in Cass's defense, she's only the legs. I can't can't be expected to do a head's job. (laughs) (laughs) A head's job. Hey, Dave, uh, it's been a while since Jackson's been on the show and, mm. and a little while since Cass's been on the show. Do you want to explain to them how it all works? Yeah. 
Well, what we do here, Jackson, to a lesser extent, Cass, is taking a turns to report on a topic often suggested to us by one of the listeners. We oh, yeah. go away, do a little bit of research, and bring it back to the group in the form of a report. It is my turn to do that this week. Fabulous. I'm going to tell you about a topic, and to get us onto that topic, I always ask a question. Okay. And I often... Uh, sometimes get them right. <laughs> yeah, sorry to brag. But there wow. is a listener out there keeping a leader tally. <sighs> Oof. That's so, so you could get on the oh leader. Oh, yeah, quarter or we could chart. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, hell yeah. If you'd instantly be in the top five, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my question to you is, what was introduced near Cairns in 1935, reached Brisbane in 1945, the Northern Territory in 1995. English backpackers. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't make it to WA until 2009. That's got to be Flavored the cane milk. toad. It is the cane toad. Oh! Oh! Sorry, Jackson. Uh, that is, that's fun because before the episode, Dave said, this is a real, got a real Jackson Bailey energy. <laughs> what does it mean? They introduced pests. No, that's, I'm all over it. I love cane toads. You can't let a dog eat them? Yeah. yeah no, it just feels like something that Jackson would be interested in. When I was a kid, uh, my grandparents had a house up, up kind of north and it was full of cane toads and my brother would just collect like heaps of them in a bucket and just carry them around. <laughs> See, oh. I knew that this would appear. Yeah. I don't know how I knew. And it was so like, really, you shouldn't be touching cane toads, but he would just pick yeah, them up bodily and they would chase the cat. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> the cane toads would chase the cat. Yeah, yeah. The cat knew they were poisoned. <laughs> Is it they... true that if you lick them, you get a, a, like a I think you might just get sick. If I, you like I will toad. be addressing that okay. later oh on this episode. Because I wanted to know more about them because, yeah, I know you can't eat them yeah, and you can't let other animals eat them. What is touching allowed? <laughs> <laughs> what if I give him a little kiss? You what if he's been good? <laughs> could be a little prince under there. Yeah. You never know. That poison. Uh, just for the record, I would have also accepted giant neotropical toad. Oh, okay. Ooh. Or the marine toad, which are also oh. cool names. Is it the same name for the same guy? <laughs> yeah. Why is he the marine toad? Are you ever in the sea? Yeah. I guess we'll find out. Naval captain? <laughs> they come from the water. They do. Uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about cane toads and other terrible decisions to introduce species around the world. Cool. And there's been lots of them. <laughs> oh, dear. So strap in. Here we go. Uh, invasive species are among the leading threats to native wildlife. Mm-hmm. According to the National Wildlife Federation, approximately 42% of threatened or endangered species are at risk due to invasive species. I think I feel a little bit... You know, hypocritical for us European <laughs> yeah, backgrounds yeah. in Australia. Be like, oh, these fucking introduced species. <laughs> oh, God. It might, uh, Jackson often brings up, imagine if imagine if we didn't introduce any new species. Yeah. And if instead of bringing them over, they were like, oh, we'll just domesticate the ones that are here. Yeah, I think I remember reading somewhere online, they were like, we could have theoretically domesticated the quoll. You know, the quoll? Oh, wow. Yeah. They were like, that would, if we'd give, given the time, we probably could have sorted given that out. <laughs> but instead, we love went for cats. Quoll. Oh, quolls Beautiful are great. Spots. And little grabby hands. Oh, yeah. oh, oh gorgeous. <laughs> Imagine having a little grabby-handed pet. Oh, my God. No, I don't like any hand, any creature. I don't like raccoons because I got thumbs. It stresses mm. me. <laughs> That means they can open locks and use keys and stuff. But in your world, we never would have introduced raccoons. That's true. (laughs) That's true. I actually read in a couple of places some articles that were like, but really the most invasive species is humans. (laughs) Yeah, no. That would have been funny if I said like that. I love that. That's Uh, great. We're an invasive species. I reckon actually the most dangerous animal of all is humans. Uh, Wrong. Bear. (laughs) (laughs) 
But these uh, these invasive species also affect humans by damaging natural ecosystems and cost economies billions of dollars per year. But yeah, it is humans that colonize and destroy our own planet. And the spread of yeah. most of these species are often because of humans, sometimes unintentionally. Okay. We'll say again from the the National Wildlife Federation, the NWF. Uh, people and the goods we use travel around the world very quickly and they often carry uninvited species with them. Ships can carry aquatic organisms in their ballast waters, while smaller boats must uh, may carry them on their propellers. Oh. Oh. Yeah, they're, they're hitching a ride. The little guy holding on, getting the most dizzy he's ever <laughs> no, been in his life. He'd want to have some grabby hands. Yeah, if you were a mollusk and you'd gone onto the hull of the ship and you watch another mollusk go on the propeller, <laughs> you'd be happy with your choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 4,000 reps per minute. But you'd, just, you'd come out of it and be like, whoa, I'm the dizziest anyone's ever been in their entire life. Huh, yeah. this place looks really weird. It'll go back to normal soon. Yeah, yeah. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Two days later, you're like, I... I don't think it was the spinning. I think something else happened here. <laughs> Can a mollusk get dizzy even? Why do you get dizzy? You need I, ears. I thought you needed eyes. I think oh, Dave no. will get into this soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, That's think, part, part of your yeah. part, part of the report. report. I think just in case, when you spin a propeller, in case there's something attached, it should then spin the other direction for uh, the same amount of time. To balance them out, yeah. Just in case they're feeling that. Reverse the boat up, yeah. <laughs> I've always found that helps me if I'm dizzy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> get, you stand up and you spin once in the other direction. I find the older I get, the dizzier I get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're not you're not doing spinnies. You're, you're losing your tolerance for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I am. Yeah, that's right. you got to train every day. <laughs> mm, I've been getting dizzy coming off the walking desk. <laughs> that rolls. been doing walking desk, so you stare at the computer and your legs are moving really, really fast because you get excited about the work you're doing and then you step off and your legs are like, I'm going, and your brain's like, I have been still. Sometimes I get head spins if I'm having a hot bath and then I stand up to have a shower to like, you know, to refresh or well, whatever. blood pressure. Yeah, and then I'm like, well, I'm going to fall over. It's <laughs> basically every night. Yeah. <laughs> get back in the, you have every a bath? Every night you have a yeah. hot bath bath and then stand up for the shower. Do you shower after bath? Well, it's like a, to, to just like wash away... I shower before bath. No, because if you have a bath, you're sitting in your own grime. No, that's why I shower before bath. Well, it doesn't either way. Well, then I have the big soaking clean and nice oils, and I come out and I'm oiled. Different and strokes then I'm for like, different Yeah, well, I, I guess, guess I guess both of us have our own beauty to the, the methods in which we move through this world. All I'm hearing is a lot of bragging about having a bath. And I'm feeling oh. jealous right yeah. now. You love a bath, but I'm, you're... I'm, I'm, I'm living know. bathless now. I'm oh, bathless. that's tragic. This is, this is when I was house I only just got into ba- baths in the one of the lockdowns. Yeah. And then I moved to a bathless place. Bath, baths are king. It's oh, yeah. it's the best way to get mm. clean. I'm, uh, no. I will live with a bath again. <laughs> you, just, you just really specifically stated that you can't get clean in a bath. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to wind down yeah, that's after true. you that's, are clean. That's true. That's Maybe true. I'm not that's so friendly true. against Jackson's <laughs> argument. It makes a lot of sense, Cass, that you work at a walking desk as Jess Perkins' legs. Yeah, that's yeah true. well, i got to get strong for her. Yeah. <laughs> Do it for Jess. <laughs> so some invasive species are intentionally or accidentally released pets. For example, Burmese pythons becoming a big problem in the Everglades in Florida. Oh, yeah. It's possible that up to 300,000 pythons now inhabit southern Florida, oh, which wow. is terrifying. That's so no, scary. They're, they're, little, they're, they're pythons. That's almost the population <laughs> of Wyoming. <laughs> Closing in. They're coming for them. But the pythons, I I reckon, oh, yeah, no, they're still going to be eating stuff. But they're, they're eating frogs and stuff. Yeah, they eat lots of stuff, apparently. And yeah. they're very hard to find. They hide very well. Yeah, that would be <laughs> annoying. But they're not, they're not attacky. Like, yeah, They're just going to eat little animals, and then they just 
they just swallow them whole. They're not venomous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just going to be still chilling s- out, terrified because <laughs> they're used to life indoors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're just scared little guys trying to eat a little possum. <laughs> but those examples I've been through there, they're kind of accidents, but not always. What we're going to focus on today is animals that were intentionally introduced by humans into new habitats. And people have been doing that for a while now. In fact, in the 19th and 20th centuries, acclimatization societies began to grow in popularity. These were voluntary associations in the 19th and 20th centuries that encouraged the introduction of non-native species. Mm. Why? Well, the first one was uh, founded in Paris in 1854. Okay. And basically it was, you know, Europeans... uh, Colonizing and now dominating new areas of the world, going, I don't like the stuff here. <laughs> and rather than, foxes. rather than going back to uh, their, I their miss original. Home. Yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than going home, they were like, let's bring home to this uh, new place. <laughs> okay. Uh, here in Victoria, Australia, the Victorian Acclimatization Society was founded in 1861 by Edward Wilson as an offshoot of the Victorian Zoological Society. Wilson was a journalist and a private collector whose motto was, Quote, if it lives, we want it. <laughs> <laughs> no dead animals. So snappy. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Amazing. But uh, I the, guess, yeah, like, you gotta, if you're living in a, like, right now I know if I put, like, a lion in the middle of the, say, outback, it's probably going to die. Yeah. But maybe back then you would be like. Let's see what happens. Yeah, like, maybe <laughs> yeah. it won't. Maybe the result is we'll have lions now and that would be cool. Yeah, I yeah, see like, where they're coming from. <laughs> and they, I, I imagine without all the knowledge we have now yeah. that has come from doing things like this. You'd be like, lion in the outback, you're like, oh, same colour. I reckon yeah. I reckon it'd do pretty well yeah. out there. Lion, like, like camouflage. hot. Desert you know. hot. Yeah, <laughs> Probably won't hot. affect the animals that are already there. Nah. They'll live together nicely. He'll be like, oh, well, he's got food. Yeah, he can eat a kangaroo yeah. or whatever. That's yeah. probably better because he can eat one thing. Oh, this is going to make that lion's life great. And then didn't that actually happen with camels? Like we put camels in the outback oh, and they yeah. thrive. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We yeah we export camels to mm, other countries. They love it here. Is it, yeah, it's like, are you going to talk about this? But it's No, I, there's so many incidents I couldn't go through them all. But <laughs> there's now like a million camels in the centre yeah, of I Australia. Think yeah. Is it the biggest population of wild camels in the world? Yeah, and, yeah. and we do like uh, sell some camels, but mm. it's only like 5% of them a year or something. Oh, really? Because they, just, they breed at such an alarming rate. That's crazy. I can't imagine we can't keep up. camel mating. We can't sell enough camels. <laughs> Humping I, a hump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I once went to Central Australia yeah. and we went on a little camel ride and we went back to the place where they kept all the camels and the people who owned the place were telling us about them. They're like, this camel uh, just came to us and there were so many wild camels that this one saw the suite set up and was like, I want in and just came up and was like, I live here now. It domesticated wow. itself like <laughs> yeah, a cat it, that rules. I don't know what kind of camel conversations that we're having, but I think that's what I was like, yeah, they just feed us. It's like, what? Whoa. Whoa. It's like, yeah, you get people riding on you. It was like, Man, who I, cares? Who cares? Some of them did get angry. Some of them hated being ridden, and I felt very bad. I'm like, put them back. This one hates it. That yeah, get the so domesticating many. one in. Yeah. yeah, hold auditions. Yeah, exactly. Get the good camels. You <laughs> might as well. You got the yeah. You're spoiled for choice. Yeah. So that it was nice to know they treat them so well. The camel was like, one for me, please. I live here now. <laughs> The Acclimatisation Society in Victoria was governed by the colony's most eminent scientists who believed that Australia's plants and animals animals were greatly inferior to those in Europe. <laughs> so that's what that's their theory. That was a, that was a scientist? 
the most eminent scientist. <laughs> I cannot Jesus. imagine looking at a kangaroo and thinking it was inferior to anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know. Our, the Australian animals are amazing. Yeah. We have some of the most unique. They they thought our animals were joke animals. They were <laughs> yeah, like, that yeah. can't be real. Yeah, like when you bring a platypus back, they were like, you've sewed two animals together here. <laughs> they tried to nice pull try. them apart. <laughs> and yet, yeah, being a scientist and not realising that they would have evolved to to inhabit Feel, this yeah, yeah. Yeah, perfectly. land perfectly. <laughs> My God. Uh, Australian writer Eric Rolls wrote in 1984, quote, there was never a body of men so foolishly, so vigorously, and so disastrously wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, yeah. But according to Museums Victoria, founder Edward Wilson was supported by Henry Barclay, a science patron and later the governor. The society was primarily responsible for the introduction of starlings, sparrows and European carp into the Murray River, which have since become an incredible issue as they've massively degraded the river yeah. and the basin. <laughs> God. Whoops. How do this you get... is a grim topic, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get carp overseas? How do you get carp here? Fish tanks? Yeah, big tanks. Like Because some of the some stuff's already travelling in the ballast water down below. Oh, yeah, below. true. So yeah, just, just dump some carp yeah, in have, there. Have what a bit more. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Because I think you don't need that many. Oh, they, yeah, true, they breathe true, so true. quickly that it, <laughs> Yeah, now it's, it's horrible. Start off with two. <laughs> yeah. And you'd probably bring eggs. Maybe they can, oh, like, true. freeze eggs or something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. As a scientist, um, <laughs> As the I'll most, build this one. Our most eminent scientist. Yeah. <laughs> the principle of acclimatization involved transporting fauna from other places in the world to see which animals could adapt and be integrated into a new environment. So we're talking blackbirds, they tried pheasants, quail, salmon, camels, goats and sheep. They're all brought first to the Melbourne Zoo and then introduced into the Australian environment. Many of these species did not establish an yeah, Australian landscape. It'd be cool yeah. if we had pheasants. Pheasants are cool. I mean, obviously tragic and probably would come with untold problems, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, I can see their thinking too <laughs> easily. Yeah, pheasants would be sick. <laughs> Put them in. Well, uh, maybe... I feel like I'm not giving these people enough credit for having think, but yeah. maybe they're looking at things and being like, oh, I don't know if we can eat that. Yeah, okay. But no one checked. Like, they're not looking at kangaroos being like, oh, we'll just eat those then. There, yeah. were, there were people here they could have checked in yeah, with. <laughs> people were exactly. eating them currently. <laughs> could have let them know. Well, I know the same thing happened when the pilgrims first came to America. The pilgrims were like, no, we're eating our disgustish, disgusting <laughs> British freaking milk porridge or whatever. And all the First Nations American people were like, yeah, we're eating like... We got all these delicious foods, and they're like, Turkey, no, 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 yeah, they had corn and yeah, I've I like my canned food, thank you. Yeah, they had like the three sisters growing system with like, was it corn and then the oh yeah, yeah, whatever the other two vegetables were, yeah, but they grow perfectly together, and then you get delicious meals, yeah, yeah, that are so good for you. <laughs> but in fairness for these people, the acclimatization wasn't just a one-way exercise. The okay. society also sent echidnas to London, <gasps> wombats oh. to Paris, kangaroos to Mauritius, and possums to New Zealand. They were hoping oh. to use the possum as a source of food and fibre and fur pelts for clothing. Possums are now widespread across most of New Zealand and have had a significant impact on many of the local <laughs> yeah, natural yeah, ecosystems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, you're allowed to kill the possums in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. In yeah, they'll, they'll sell, let you. Yeah. sell a lot of Possum skin mm. 
merch mm-hmm. and uh, all their shops over there. Yeah. All of their shops. <laughs> all of the shops. In the 1980s, the population peaked at 60 to 70 million possums. Oh, my Whoa. God. Jesus. Far That's out. That's way more than the population of Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many, how many dozen possums does each person of Wyoming have to kill to take down we get this everybody from Wyoming yeah. into New Zealand with one goal in mind. How did they, do we know how the echidnas and what, I mean, I, I know presumably not well because it's, <laughs> no, that's right. There's not like a bunch of echidnas yeah. in, in Britain or whatever, but like. It does feel like unless it became a problem, they did, that means they didn't do well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I think you're right. Imagine just having, because London, yeah. there's not enough places for them to borrow. Yeah. So I can immediately see some problems, but imagine if they'd become like, I don't know, little street echidnas <laughs> and then, you know, burrowing into holes in buildings that mice had previously dug yeah. out and then the caves had gotten too too big for the mice to feel safe in, yeah. you know, like like a pest. Yeah, that would be very like like, it, like native Australian animals. Only f- some of them have really adapted to the suburban sprawl. Yeah, like yeah. Possums are everywhere. Yeah, still, true. Where, but you don't see a lot of echidnas. <laughs> no. right, for me, fa- favorite Aussie animal, native animal. Oh, wombat. Wombat. I think I'm a koala man. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> I'd say wombat too, but echidna for me. Just seeing them, how they sort of. Uh, they wumble along, oh. kind of like a wombat. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I love an echidna too. Oh, also, yeah, love that because a couple of times I saw them in my house growing up, and Whoa. you know they are in you know it's semi suburbia They're pretty mm. suburban, mm. and they're wandering around. But the look of not giving a shit because they're like, oh, yeah. "Come at me, yeah, try and touch I'm me." Covered in spikes, I'm idiot. covered in spikes. <laughs> they would have learnt so quickly. People are like, "Oh, I can't touch you." They're like. Yeah. yeah, your brother picks him up, doesn't he? Yeah, my brother he he picks him up. He puts just, him in a bucket. Yeah, <laughs> no, he just digs his hands underneath and pulls them out of the earth. A fun thing you do if you ever see an echidna, obviously the first thing they do is they just like burrow down and hunker down. But if you just stand very still, eventually the echidna's like, oh, I guess they're gone, and then just starts walking away, and you can watch it. For they're ages. so funny. Yeah, I love, love how all they care about is getting their little ants and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. They'll just like. Nose to the ground, like sniffing for truffles or something. They couldn't care less about you. Oh, yeah. They roll. Great animal. <laughs> yeah, a fantastic animal. Fantastic animal. I do love how wombats are like Jess Perkins' legs. So solid. Yeah. So strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I don't know anyone this has happened to personally, but if you've got any international listeners, if you hit a wombat with your car, people are like, fuck, are you okay? Yeah, yeah I, I've been yeah. in a car that hit a wombat, and the wombat was fine, but we had to pull into a <laughs> car park, and it was like it hit a rock, and the underside of the car was just destroyed. They are so yeah. solid. I love nugget animals. Uh, yeah, nugget the wombat was my favorite. Whatever. We just kept walking. <laughs> I used to want a like a pet wombat when I was younger and I looked it up to see what you could do and there were all these websites where they're like adopt a wombat and I'm yeah. like this is a cartoon that an artist has put a lot of work into. I you're giving the money to wombat sanctuaries. Found out that you can adopt baby wombats that have been orphaned. Oh yeah. But once they hit heat then they get released into the wild. So you literally only get them for the cute phase of their life. That rolls. And I was like, I'll do that. I'll like nurse a wombat to make sure it's healthy and like yeah. can like be in the wild. But I don't I my home wasn't set up well mm. enough and then I moved out into an apartment. I'm like, well, I can't keep a wombat in an apartment. <laughs> I have never lived in a wombat safe house. You put that on the lease. <laughs> oh, I've got a wombat. I, well, I, I hope I that's okay. I, can, I reckon if you, I reckon if you own a native animal and someone comes in on your house inspection day and they're like, why is there a wombat in here? You're like, he <laughs> came in honestly. and honestly, they're scary, right? Yeah. And the, hopefully the person's like, yeah, they're pretty scary. Have you heard what happens when you hit them with your arm? I'm just waiting for him to leave. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's actually been here longer than us. So <laughs> really, if anything, we should, we should go. We should go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
This is his house. He lives here. <laughs> so apologies to the New Zealanders about the possums. So sorry about that. Yeah. But back in Australia, six rabbits had been brought over by the First Fleet in 1788. Whoa. But the godfather of rabbits in Australia, as I assume he demanded to be called, oh, yeah. was a guy called Thomas Austin. It was a hunter and a member of the Acclimatisation Society I spoke about. Good. In 1859, he introduced 12 pairs of rabbits, hoping to hunt them for sport on his property, uh, Barwon Park at Winchelsea in Victoria's Western District. Rabbits are able to produce tenfold in one season, and uh, a website called Australian Food Timeline, which I'm a big fan of, oh, hell yeah. writes that just seven years after Austin introduced the rabbits at his property, he received a visit from Prince Alfred, Duke of Edinburgh, oh the second son of Queen Victoria. A report in the Illustrated Australian News recounted that the prince shot 416 rabbits in three and a half hours and his gun became so hot that they <laughs> blistered the hands of the loader. <laughs> oh, the loader, the him. separate person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's someone else. It seriously is. Someone else is loading That's his gun. so funny. Yeah, but, but so he couldn't miss, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like in a so ball many. pit, a bunny <laughs> pit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And then some poor guy saying, Your Majesty, it's burning it's my hands. Stop killing You've killed enough. <laughs> you can't oh. eat all of these before they go bad. Yeah. This is the time where it probably took five minutes to reload the gun. Yeah. So you'd only five, four bullets in that time and killed 400 rabbits. So they were everywhere in just wow. a few years. Rabbits were introduced around the country in different places over the decades after, but that was the epicentre. And by the 1920s, there were more than 10 billion rabbits across Australia. Wow. I mean, you've said so many Wyomings. <laughs> 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 Thomas Austin was praised during his lifetime for bringing these rabbits, but has copped a lot of flack for the rabbits since, I yeah. will say. His widow, this will be interesting to Melbourneites, Elizabeth Austin founded what would become the Austin Hospital. Oh, in wow. Melbourne. Huh. Cool. Well, that's a better so she, contribution. Yeah, she's got a better <laughs> reputation. They balanced out, maybe. What, do we think we've. Oh, do we think they're balanced out? <laughs> I don't know. The it, native it animals be- probably. Don't think so. The yeah, native probably, animals probably don't think so, but I reckon a lot of people's lives would have been saved. Mm. I, re- I reckon a hospital did a bit for health. <laughs> Bloody hell, you reckon? Maybe. I reckon, maybe. <laughs> this was a, a, so when the prince came, apparently I read that they were a bit embarrassed because their mansion wasn't mansion-y enough. Oh, yeah. So after he left, they built an even bigger mansion <laughs> in, in case he ever came back. But then within the year, uh, Thomas himself died, so he never wow. got to appreciate. That's... Appreciate the royalty. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, the second mansion on his massive property. And he also never got to appreciate the devastation that he alone caused. He he never knew. So that's in Australia. In the USA, there, Thomas Austin was a German immigrant named Eugene Scheffelin. His grand idea was to bring one of every bird mentioned in the plays of Shakespeare to North America. That's so funny. Beautiful. To be, man, back in the old times, you could just have a maniac idea (laughs) and then do it. Yeah, it's like, are you wealthy? Yes, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Fetch me a bird. (laughs) And then other people have to figure out how to do that. How to get all the birds. And and that's about 60 birds. So there's things like wrens, cormorants, owls, nightingales, larks, all get a mention, often for dramatic purpose in the works of Shakespeare. But the one that really took off was the starling. According to the BBC, one cold winter's day, Eugene released 60 starlings into New York Central Park in the hope that they would start breeding. And breed they did. <laughs> the US is now home to an estimated 200 million European starlings. Oh. And they are an horrific nuisance, oh, no. causing over a billion dollars of damage to crops every year. Wow. Oh, God. So much so that they are one of the few... Bird species unprotected by law in the United States. Oh. They're like, go for it. Oh, nuts. <laughs> yeah. 
They're also potentially dangerous. They're a particular problem at airports because they flock in very large numbers. And compared to other birds, their bodies are very dense. They're like the wombat of the skies. (laughs) (laughs) They've been known to cause bird strikes on planes. Including bird strikes, <laughs> yeah, like a picket line. <laughs> no, it's more when they get sucked into the engine. Oh, that's so funny that there are some birds that if they get sucked into the engine, it's like, well, that was such a light, airy bird. Who yeah. cares? Yes, come at me. Who cares? <laughs> so These are like bowling balls with wings. <laughs> so do they just not have as hollow bones or something? Uh, yeah, what's going on there? Why are they just full of better meat? Yeah, too much, too muscly. Like a factor, <laughs> quite a yeah. What are they? Big dense. chunky like an owl or something? Yeah. Or no, they're they not. They sound very, little. They're not very, yeah, they are quite small, but they flock in hundreds, sometimes thousands. That's crazy. Oh, so right. it's more of the and they are solid yeah. compared to other birds their size. Oh, they're beautiful. Show us. Look at that. Oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Once that's again, pretty, I understand why you get bird. it. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful bird, and it's, it's a Shakespearean bird. You get it. I yeah, I'm there. Because there are things like when you go overseas, you'll see bits of scenery and nature, and you're like, wow, this guy. Looks really different here, or yeah. like, wow, I love the trees. And then there are things I notice about like Australia. I'm like, God, I love, you know, X, Y, Z about how this country looks. And being a maniac back in the day and being like, I could get all the best bits at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be like, I'm going to make sure. a perfect country. This this place does not have beautiful birds. Or yeah. you, you get someone and you go, it took ages to get here. I can't be bothered going back. Yeah. Just bring the other stuff I to me. Get, I don't want to go back to England to see a fox. Yeah. Whatever, just I'll have a fox here. Just have them here. It's no big deal. So, uh, but uh, the starlings, uh, they caused the most deadly bird strike in US aviation history. In 1960, the birds flew into the engines of a plane as it took off from Boston's Logan Airport, causing the plane's engines to malfunction. They crashed into the harbour and 62 people were killed. Whoa. Jesus. And this can all be traced back to this guy <laughs> in Central Park being like, fly, my pretty. Just being like... It would be beautiful if I could read Shakespeare and, like, see the birds. (laughs) And possibly the worst part of all of this is, considering the damage, is that the starlings are only mentioned once in all of Shakespeare. Oh, my God. It's not even like they're, like, his most most popular bird, you know? They are in Henry IV, part one. Hotspur is in rebellion against the king and thinking of ways to torment him. And in Act 1, Scene 2, he fantasizes about teaching a starling to say Mortimer, one of the king's enemies, as starlings are very good mimics. So you're trying to blame the guy who brought the starlings. You know, I blame Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Oh. if he didn't write that verse, that's true. That's, yeah, it would never that's have happened. I, like, I don't think he wrote it for Americans, though. <laughs> I think he wrote it for people he lived with. Yeah, that's and people true. who know starlings. Yeah. Well, he should have known. He should have had a what bit of could have happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's a real sliding doors Shakespearean <laughs> moment here. Do I pick starlings or another yeah, bird? Oh, yeah, the bald eagle. <laughs> <laughs> the ostrich. Yeah. Well, so the line is, Nay, I'll have a starling shall be taught to speak nothing but Mortimer and give it to him to keep his anger still in motion. Poetry. That like, line's worth it. Yeah. That line's worth the damage. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I like that the starling in the Shakespeare, in, in context with Shakespeare is also annoying. It's, 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 it's also in a negative light. Yeah, that's right. And then... You know, I'm going to drive someone crazy. (laughs) I love how you understood what that sentence meant. Oh, yeah. Come on. I'm like, gibberish. (laughs) And you were just like, it sounded like English to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a genius. (laughs) (laughs) I speak a bit of the spear. Yeah. The bard. Yeah. (laughs) Was he actually a bard? Well, he's the bard. He's the bard. Like, as we know a bard today. Was well, he annoying? <laughs> <laughs> well, Did he I suck? mean, yeah, according, pretty annoying. according to a lot of Americans <laughs> who are harassed by starlings year after year. 
Australia has had its own fair share of terrible decisions to introduce birds, namely the minor bird. Oh, yeah. Uh, we Screw do, that And guy. I feel bad because we do have a native minor bird. Yeah. yeah. True. And sometimes people confuse them and get angry at them. I have done it in my past. Mm-hmm. gotten angry at the wrong bird, and then I felt awful. I'm like, <laughs> sorry, sorry, you're doing everything right. You're not breaking anything <laughs> weird. Yeah. I'm getting bad at the wrong bird. <laughs> so you yeah. hunt packs as well, the introduced ones. Yeah, yeah so right. that's the, the common minor. Mm-hmm. And our ones are called the noisy minor. Yeah, they've changed. They've changed it to common. It used to be called the Indian minor. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's because yeah. so they're native to India and southern Asia, and according to PetSmart, the common minor are popular birds in their source countries as crop pest control agents oh, okay. and as symbols of undying love associated with their habit of pairing for life. Oh, that's, that's nice. nice. Just not here. (laughs) That's beautiful. I reckon as people uh, put them in a bag and attach them to their exhaust pipe, they think the same thing. (laughs) They're dying to live together, now they're dying together. Jeez. (laughs) You throw them into the minor ball pit. (laughs) Uh, Common miners were introduced to Melbourne in the 1860s to combat insects in market gardens. Mm, Now it's estimated their numbers have swelled to the millions. In 1883, miners... Dave, could you put it in Wyoming population? Yeah. How many Wyoming? Like eight Wyomings? Whoa! Whoa. I should let everyone know that Dave told me the population of Wyoming today. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you need to tell it. (laughs) I think they do know. (laughs) Our state of the day, Wyoming. (laughs) (gasps) Why did Wyoming even come? It doesn't matter. (laughs) It is, yeah. In 1883, miners were transported to Townsville in uh, Queensland and neighbouring sugarcane growing areas to combat locusts and cane beetles. Oh, here what? we go. A little bit more on the cane beetles in a moment. Ooh. <laughs> coming back. Uh, but the common miner thrives in urban and survive, suburban environments. In Canberra, for instance, 110 miners were introduced between 68 and 71. And by 1991, common miner population density in Canberra averaged 15 birds per square kilometre. Whoa. Jeez, that's, that's so much. many birds. And only three years later, a second study found that that had grown to 75 birds per square kilometre in the same oh my area. Oh, God. But in Cairns, there's 200... Sorry, in Canberra, there's now 250 per square kilometre. But in Cairns, there is 1,000 minor birds per square K. That's Whoa, so that's what, one per square metre? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Oh, my God. If they, right? all, if they all landed at once, it would be terrible. <laughs> it would be Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. It would be full on The Birds situation. Yeah. That's so That's many. That's horrendous. You think we could solve it by giving every citizen of Australia the appropriate amount of birds, like per person? Yeah. And we can just do with them what we like? That's right. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> responsible for the cer- certain amount of birds. Like the adopt a highway yeah, sort exactly. of plan. You've adopted, I don't know, 60 odd birds. How big's your house? All right. You now have that many square meters of bird. <laughs> do with them what you will, but yeah. they can't grow. You no. can't let them out of your, your sight. Basically. You don't have to, but if you've got a car exhaust pipe, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying do yeah. it, but I'm not saying don't do it. That's I a crazy that government initiative. <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> I wonder if, because our culling techniques are getting insane. Like, have you heard yeah. of the one they're using for mosquitoes or they're in development for mosquitoes? I can't remember if it's proof yet. No. They are releasing mosquitoes that are infertile. Oh. Or have have an infertility gene. So they release all these mosquitoes, they breed, and then the next generations of mosquitoes can't breed anymore. Huh. So That's clever. It's the next generation down becomes infertile. So they keep releasing these one generation of infertility yeah. mosquitoes to kill them off. Have we got we've got too many mosquitoes, do we? They just keep killing people. I I oh, okay. I personally I don't really like killing anything. Yeah, that's fair. Mosquito, 
I think that's fair game because it's us versus them. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like <laughs> mosquitoes <laughs> kill people. If a mosquito could kill, so, if it could squash me, it would. Yeah, so. yeah. I I think it's fine. To but how do, how do you feel about when they go hunting for a shark that bit a surfer or something? Well, the surfer was in the shark's house, yeah. so I don't think that's a Are shark's Are we not fault. in the mosquito's house? Yeah, that's true. Is I, the mosquito's house not? Yeah, and he's big... coming to get us, so it's us versus them. If a shark bit me, I'd punch the shark in the nose, right. but I'm not in the shark's house. Yeah, that's true. I will kill a mosquito. What if the shark came into your house, yeah. right, like in yeah. the bath? Yeah, well, the shark would have to cop it if I killed yeah, him. That's fair, that's fair, that's fair. But it's if you came into my house with not intention to kill me, if you just wanted to have a look around and be like, have a look. <laughs> yeah. You know, what a mosquito comes like. and tries to bite me. He if, if starts people, a fight. If anyone comes to your house and just wants to have a look around, you'll welcome them in. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Shark. If I'm like shutting the door and they're like, no, come in. And they're like, problem. I'm like, well, problem. <laughs> but if I'm like, yeah, come into my house. It's fine. Yeah, that's and if And if there's a problem, a problem will happen. <laughs> I will be part of the problem. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, can we get some of those infertility genes on the minor birds, maybe? Because that, because that, that, I like that because it's not culling them. Yeah, that's true. It's just sort of like, getting rid it of won't them. Won't kill any existing ones. Yeah, it yeah, will yeah. Make them die out, true. which is pretty horrific, but <laughs> maybe they, less horrific. <laughs> they just keep destroying so much. Yeah. Yes, and they, they get to live lives without the worry of kids. Yeah, you know? exactly. Don't birds have to teach their kid birds how to fly and stuff? These yeah, birds no, can just travel instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Empty nesters. Oh, love the space. <laughs> well, they're lifelong monogamous and sedentary. Breeding pairs use the same territory each year and maintain and defend their territory aggressively during breeding season. This behaviour is thought to evict native bird species from nesting boxes or tree hollows and even kill eggs and chicks. Not so romantic now, are they? (laughs) No. They also carry avian malaria that kills local birds. Jesus. Oh, no. (laughs) They are the mosquitoes of the sky. That's true. Mosquitoes of the sky. (laughs) (laughs) The mosquitoes with wings. (laughs) But before we finally get to our main uh, headline event, the cane toad, I hope mm-hmm. you'll indulge me talking about a lizard, and not just any lizard, the Lazarus lizard. Oh. Called the Podarchus muralis, or the common wall lizard. Mm. They're from Europe originally. But they are referred to locally in the Cincinnati slash northern Kentucky area as the Lazarus lizard, as it was introduced to the area around 1950 by George Rao who was a member of the family who owned the Lazarus Department Store chain. Oh, okay. Later bought out by Macy's. When George was just 10 years old, his family went on vacation to northern Italy, and wanting a souvenir of the trip, the boy had stuffed around 10 lizards into the <laughs> socks in his suitcase to bring home with him. My God. The lizards survived the trip, and he released them near his family's home in the eastern Cincinnati suburb of Hyde Park, and they quickly bred and spread. This story became local legend, and George Rao himself wrote a letter in 1989 to herpetologists at the Cincinnati Museum of Natural History, owning up to being the guy who introduced <laughs> the lizards as a 10-year-old, and in 2013, genetic testing proved that he was telling the truth. That's oh, amazing. They come from the area of Italy, and there's also, they think only three of the 10 lizards survived to breed, so there's like a real bottleneck in their genetics. Yeah. So it all comes from this, these three, and they're like... Okay, the guy's not lying. God. The lizards now number in the hundreds of thousands and are expanding and have become a local symbol found in murals, on carousels, <laughs> and the original neighbourhood they were introduced is often unofficially marked on maps as Lizard Hill in their honour. Oh, rolls. so they, they like them. 
Yeah. Well, because we got into them. Yeah, are they as devastating, these Lazarus? I think they eat some stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but I just thought it was so funny that a 10-year-old kid... I know, because like, he's not expecting... I think it, there's so much fu- that's funny about that one. He's like, I need a souvenir. Ten lizards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'll be my that's souvenir. <laughs> and then I love when he gets home, he's like, ah, I'm sick of these lizards. It yeah, just dumps them in his Yeah, releasing them the insane bit. <laughs> Being like, Surely uh, one lizard. Yeah, one lizard's a perfect souvenir. Ten lizards is so many lizards. <laughs> that's a lot yeah. of that's lizards. heaps of lizards. How did he even pack that many socks? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm surprised they survived the trip as well. Like yeah, Italy to America, that's a while. Mm. Yeah. Some don't some animals just turn off sometimes. Oh, they just true. like have an off switch. <laughs> they go, I'm yeah. dormant for a I'm bit. I'm in socks. Yeah. I'll yeah. Turn off. <laughs> yeah. You put a lizard yeah. in a sock, it's like putting a blanket over a bird. Yeah, it's <laughs> nighttime. Good night. <laughs> Do with that. Does that work for us? Uh, I know that the sun affects our circadian rhythms, but like, what? What's your question? Are you saying that if I put you in a cage and then put a sheet over it, would you go to sleep? Maybe. No. What about okay? In the in the Iceland, yeah, dark all the time. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Do they sleep more? Uh, I don't know. I don't know get... they have very high rates of depression. <laughs> probably get bored a lot more. Yeah. yeah. You've been having your day. Did you go there? So is that? Is it dark at one point of it's the like, year and really light at the yeah, other? Yeah, like dark twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah the further north you go. Yeah, I think when I went, I went to Iceland. Maybe there was only seven hours of sunshine for the whole day or something. But it, it was getting less and less. You sleep mm. more or party more? Mm. Uh, I actually slept less. So one one morning, uh, we got there at night and I woke up the next day and for some reason I hadn't checked my phone to see what time it was and yeah. I went downstairs, and you know I was at uh, a hotel with you know a, a continental breakfast. So I said to the guy, "Oh, are you serving breakfast yet?" And I had to buzz the bell actually to get mm. him down. He was really grumpy. And I was like, what? Oh, this guy's really mad at me. And I was like, oh, where do I go for breakfast? He goes, oh, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. And I'm like, oh, okay. I went back to my room and I realized that it was like 4.45 a.m. Oh. <laughs> and oh. I just buzzed him down to the desk. I was like, oh, okay, sorry. Rise and shine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. Oh, that's so funny. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. i got to get something off my chest. Okay. I ate your last biscuit. I was that saving has been, them for my wedding. That has been stress. <laughs> that has been stressing me out. I'm so sorry. I feel a lot better to get that off my chest. You know, keeping things bottled up can affect people negatively, and that had been affecting me. And that feel that's a weight off my shoulder. Yeah. It was delicious. I'm not sorry, but I did take the last biscuit he, that he was saving for his wedding. I didn't know that. <laughs> That is upsetting to hear, but I think I'm going to have to get some uh, positive coping skills, learn to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you could give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's very convenient. It's flexible. You can fit it around your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. You too can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com D-G-O today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H e l p dot com slash d g o. Yeah, but finally we get to the cane toad. Hell yes! Described yeah. by PetSmart as 
one of the foremost examples of an exotic animal release gone wrong. Oh, yeah. Uh, hang on. <laughs> When's it gone right? <laughs> yeah. They put some kangaroos no, in, in France. I, That's actually, pretty cool. I will actually, in this story, yeah. talk about an example gone right. <gasps> That's exciting. There are a couple. Honestly, they seem to be few and far between. <laughs> what about the dingo? Yeah, that's true. That went pretty well, right? Uh, yeah. Nice. I mean, it happened so long ago that I think some people call them native Yeah, but dogs. they were definitely introduced. They were from, uh, like, East Timor, right? Yeah. Down into... Down well, like, two or three... I knew that. It was, like, a few thousand years yeah, ago. Yeah, 5, yeah, a long years? time ago. But I don't know, really, when... Because people talk about that, that them being introduced, but... I guess because we have so little idea of the like connection between Australia and kind of like Southeast Asia, we don't know who was trading what or whatever. Like, yeah. how did the dingo come from who? You yeah, know? it must have been. Uh, yeah, obviously on a via boat. Yeah, well, it, or did they swim? Doggy yeah, paddle. just a swim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the perfected doggy paddle. I know there was a lot of trade between the people in the northern tip of of Australia and the the southern set of islands or whatever where they were they would come down here from Southeast Asia to trade, to collect sea cucumbers. And then the First Nations Australian people would help them farm the sea cucumbers and stuff. So there was some, maybe it was that. Maybe that's how the dingo came here. I don't know. This is from the Australian Museum website. Yeah. Uh, quoting a guy called Jackson. Oh my God. Maybe it was me. Maybe I wrote this. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so the dingo is Australia's wild dog. It is an ancient breed of domestic dog that was introduced to Australia, probably by Asian seafarers about 4,000 years ago. Its origins have been traced back to early breeds of domestic dogs in Southeast Asia. That's cool. That would have been insane for the people here, just being like, is that a new kind of guy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? <laughs> Holy... What about that dog that's got two noses? You know this dog? No. I think what? it's from Southeast Asia. It doesn't like, smell. How does it no, smell? No, so it's got... <laughs> <laughs> really well. It smells twice as well. No, it's got... It's more like its nose is bisected down the middle so its oh. nostrils are on like two separate snouts oh. uh, with like a weird divot in the middle and it's uh, I don't think it exists anymore but it definitely existed for a while yeah the old two look dog. that the idea of that makes me feel a bit sick yeah. it's like a normal do- he's fine the dog's getting by yeah. <laughs> don't worry about the dog <laughs> he's having a great time uh, I wish I could remember where it was from. it might be Southeast Asia and actually it might be South America maybe somewhere south somewhere somewhere south yeah 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 Okay, the Google image just gives you pictures of dogs that that's happened to these days. Yeah, uh, that's not what you want. <laughs> I, don't, I don't recommend it. <laughs> the dogs look happy. That looks like they're living good lives, but it definitely sets off a part of the brain that thinks, oh, something's... Uh, body horror. It's yeah. a kind of body horror. Yeah. Anyway, it was a two-nosed dog. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that's all you need to know. Uh, to understand the cane toad, you have to understand their namesake, cane or sugar cane. Oh, my God. Used for sugar production... Sugarcane was also brought to Australia from South Africa with the first fleet in 1788. But the industry really took off in Queensland in the 1860s. The climate up north is suitable to grow sugarcane, which is native to warm, temperate and tropical regions of India, Southeast Asia and New Guinea. Everything was going well till a couple of decades later in the 1880s when white grub attacks began to damage the crops. The white grubs are the larvae of up to 13 different species of native beetles that eat the roots of the cane causing the plants to die. Mm. The most famous is the cane beetle. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's native, yeah? Yes. Ah. It's just the sugar was in our house. Yeah, yeah. It was in fair. his house. Yeah, but it's funny to me that they're named after... We were here before. <laughs> I used to just be the beetle. <laughs> this is weird. Adult beetles eat the leaves of sugarcane, but greater damage is done by their larvae hatching underground and eating the roots, which either kills or stunts the growth of the plant. White grub. 
White grub. White grub. Same. Uh, their eggs and larvae are often buried deep underground, making them difficult to exterminate. Okay. The oh, gov- so they're clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deep yes. poppy syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the government knew there was a problem and bowed to pressure from cane growers and were forced to establish the Queensland Bureau of Sugar Experiment Stations, or the BSES. That rolls. That sounds so yes. much more fun than it is. Yeah. I want to go to a sugar experiment station. <laughs> that was 1900. Wow. <laughs> the beetles were studied, and lots of methods of control were experimented with, many of which involved pesticides that were either ineffective or unnecessarily killed other insects. Okay. So they were like, oh, the damage isn't quite worth it. So these were deemed inappropriate. One idea was introduced was to introduce another animal to take care of the cane beetles. They tried minor birds earlier, and that didn't work <laughs> out. By this time, they were riding high from the success, oh, finally a success of the 1925 introduction of the cactus moth that dealt with invasive prickly pear plants. Okay. Well. Pri- Seeing lots around, I don't think it did a good job. <laughs> well, the prickly pears that also been introduced and had quickly overgrown huge swathes of land, like millions of acres, apparently. Wow! And nothing could sufficiently deal with them until the moths came along, and in just a few years, ate up to seventy percent of the cactus. What? Did the moth cause any kick-on problems? No, I don't think so. It's it's, it's seen as one of the successes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This thing. Good on you, cactus What's prickly moth? pear. It's that cactus that grows almost, it looks 2D. It looks like little yeah. upside down teardrop shapes that keeps oh. growing, but they actually grow a fruit on them called prickly pear. Oh, mm-hmm. So I you know, know how it looks like they wear a hat sometimes? Oh, Those yeah. Those guys. Oh, where, okay. And you see them around a lot. I yeah. Don't know. I uh, out in the, well, out in the country where there's big swathes of land to yeah. be right. ravaged by a prickly pear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, cool. they need more of them moths. Yeah. They're a pest, and I think there are like laws in place where you, if you live on a land that has prickly pear, you have a legal responsibility that you have to get rid of the prickly really? pear. Really? Wow. And it's really hard. It's really yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> and they're cactuses. Yeah. Like they, they will thrive under neglect. Yeah. <laughs> but you can don't give me fruit. anything. I love it. <laughs> no, don't Treat leave me, me alone. <laughs> I hate that. But, so that case is often cited as an example of successful biological pest control. And if it worked, then why couldn't it yeah, work for not? the cane beetle? Why not? That's why what not? they were saying. Didn't work with sense. the miter bird earlier, but we that was cactus. a bird. That was we a, went yeah. too big. Exactly. Birds can fly elsewhere. That was our mistake. Yeah, Unlike moths. You reckon they would have been going before? I mean, maybe you'll say whether or not this is true, but they went moths first. So they were like, well, the cactus moth worked. We got any cane moths? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. We know moths are good. Yeah. Well, Reginald uh, Montgomery, an entomologist, that's a bug guy, yeah. was convinced the, the cane toad was the answer to a major agricultural crisis in the sugar industry as they'd reportedly solved similar beetle problems in Hawaii, the Philippines, and Puerto Rico. Okay. So obviously they don't have the exact cane beetle because that's native to Australia, but yeah. they've got similar bugs that are affecting their crops. Okay. And the cane toad done super well over there. Yeah. Uh, cane toads are also known, as I said, the giant neotropical toad, a native to South and mainland Central America. They're considered to be a very large species of toad. They Im- are big. Invertoads, reaching up to 15 centimetres in body length, occasionally getting up to 25 centimetres. Whoa. That's in body length. That's <laughs> no good. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I didn't talk about body width. <laughs> It's like when uh, you're watching tennis or something and they'll say racket head speed. 
It's like, yeah, you just say speed. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think? What we... else? What other spot is speedo? <laughs> yeah. They do get huge though, cane toads. They're so like it's a shock whenever you see one because they're so big. Yeah, they are very big. Yeah. And for anyone who hasn't seen one, this is how the Australian Museum describes them. Adult toads have a light brown or yellow brown back with darker patches and spots. The skin is dry and warty. Mm. The word warty. Warty is a weird one because it's not actually warts, is it? It's just lumpy. This right? sort of looks like that, yeah. The belly is white or yellow, sometimes with grey mottling. Mm. Oh, mottling. Goodness. Adult- I don't know what it means. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like fancy. <laughs> fancy toad. <laughs> Adults have large parotid glands on the shoulders which secrete toxins when the toad is under threat. The t- I think if you didn't, even if you didn't know the cane toad was poisonous, if you saw it, you'd know. Yeah. It yeah. looks poisonous. Ugh. Absolutely. <laughs> Lumps pick- up top spots on belly. <sighs> they're a grotesque That's- little guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. They do, I think they're kind of pretty. Show us. Let me see if that's they got true. The modeling and stuff, <laughs> it's like little nice Oh, yeah, splotches. and like the... They get the like eye ridges that no, I can see they're kind of pretty. <laughs> yeah, but I think all the photography of cane toads for at least Australia, oh. they photo they f- they photograph them yeah. um, from a, a low angle and it makes them look mean because uh, yeah. <laughs> they're trying to make them look like a, a nasty species. <laughs> I really like this photo you have here, Cass, of a cane toad eating another cane toad. That's good. It's got its mouth oh, open and the legs of another cane toad. They're the problem, out. but also part of Maybe, the solution. Yeah. <laughs> more cane toads. <laughs> oh my God, that, that's genius. They're bringing more from, from Puerto Rico. <laughs> Get the 25 centimetre ones in. and yeah, then will eat the little ones. Yeah. It's a real, you know, the lady who ate the fly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what Australia's, that was their yeah. old policy on uh, pest control. Yeah. Well, I ate the fly. Well, what ate the, the fly? fly. <laughs> okay. Well, we're gonna. We'll have to eat a frog or whatever. Get the frog in. Get the frog yeah. in. <laughs> we'll find something that eats a frog, and then eventually it's big enough that yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Eventually, <laughs> we're we're putting blue whales out on the <laughs> into the ca- the cane fields. <laughs> it's like lowering them from a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Open up. <laughs> so Reginald uh, Montgomery was pushing to use the toads to take on the cane beetles. This is again from uh, PetSmart. They write, In June 1935, Montgomery travelled to Hawaii where he captured 102 toads and brought them back to Australia. When he arrived at the Moringa Experimental Farm near Gordon Vale in far north Queensland on the 22nd of June 1935, all but one toad had survived the journey. Oh, wow. So but that kid from Northern Italy... Yeah, he Italy, brought he, a, he had, 10 lizards yeah, back. Perfect. He'd had a better success rate. Yeah. Should have put the cane toads in socks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Socks that had been worn by a boy. <laughs> a boy socks. <laughs> the toads were housed in a purpose-built enclosure and left to breed. On June 19 that year, so it was, what, this is about six weeks later, 2,400 toads were released into oh sites God. around Gordonvale. In less than two months, the number of toads had increased at least 24-fold. There's... There's such a reproducing in nature is not that easy, yeah. and a lot of animals overproduce because a lot of them will like like the eggs yeah. will die off in the process, or like the babies will die off, or sometimes the person who birthed them just gets a bit hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you do them in these controlled environments, it's too many, and yeah. then you put them in nature, which is it doesn't have all the things that should eat all the eggs. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. God, it's yeah. such an issue. Yeah. Have you oh, seen dear. that person in the US who has rescued 
a million frogs. Oh, no. They went to a local pond and they were like, oh, there were all these frog eggs, but they're going to die. So I brought them home and now they're breeding 1.4 million frogs. Yeah. Oh. And people what? keep trying to report them for environmental terrorism, but it's just some kid on TikTok being like, I'm going to start a frog army. And people are like, this is <laughs> rich. You is don't know devastate. how many frogs that is. You are going to cause a lot of harm. It's kind of like the wolves at Yellowstone. You know the wolves at Yellowstone thing where they were like, "We got to the wolves are a problem. We got to eradicate the wolves at Yellowstone." So they completely decimated all of the wolves' numbers. And then what happened is that the wolves weren't eating the deer, and that meant that the deer population was going crazy. And because there were so many deers, the deers were eating all of the foliage. And because all the foliage was being eaten, it meant that the weather and stuff could have a far more devastating effect because there were the trees to prevent erosion and because the weather was having it and it just had this insane kick on wow. effect so they had to reintroduce wolves back into Yellowstone <laughs> to eat all the deer because it was causing such a massive problem. Why'd they, why were they worried about the wolves in the first place? I think place? they were like, oh, the wolves are probably going to eat us or whatever, oh, yeah. you know. So they were not introduced. They were no, no, they was just, it was basically just like part of the, oh my God. the environment and the ecosystem and they were like, well, the wolves are scary. How so. do we keep making this mistake? <laughs> no, humans are really dumb. Yeah, Everything's yeah. set up perfectly. It's in a perfect balance. Yeah. Let's fuck with it a little bit. <laughs> see what happens. But I mess up the balance heaps. So, yeah. therefore I can change things. Oh, like that kid with the frogs. Like all the frog eggs were going to die. Yeah, that's that's Which nature, is what was baby. meant to happen. And they were like, I'll save them. God. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen because people keep trying to report this kid. So maybe by the time this is released, Impressive. that has something has concluded. It's so stressful. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> oh dear. So Montgomery, he, he put out twenty four hundred toads, and now there's like over ten thousand of them. Further releases of toads in the Cairns and Innisfail areas uh, followed. Not everyone was on board, though. Another Australian entomologist, Walter Froggett. He's like, listen to me. (laughs) I'm the frog man. He's like, let's release frogs, not toads. (laughs) Yeah, forget about it. (laughs) I got toaded on (laughs) myself. He voiced concerns that maybe this wasn't such a great idea. It seems like it. Trust him. He wrote, this great toad, immune from enemies, omnivorous in its habits, that's right, omnivorous, sorry, in its habits, and breeding all year round may become greater pest as the rabbit or the cactus. You know, it's, he's like, you know that thing that we, yeah. we're yeah. worried about? Hey, remember yeah. how we've done this yeah. multiple times and should... you're citing one time? <laughs> this could happen again. He convinced the government to ban the introduction, but this ban was soon overturned. The government changed and then went, nah, it's good, we it's a good idea. The toads. Yeah. But Not I'm... doing it isn't working. <laughs> oh. Maybe doing it will change something. By um, March 1937, some 62,000 toadlets. Oh, baby toads were <laughs> That's cute. It does. Yeah, <laughs> they got us. That's <laughs> what got the government back on board. <laughs> They're only toadlets. They're only babies. Fuck you, Frogger. They were bred in captivity and then released in some areas around Cairns, Gordon Vale, Innisfail, in northern Queensland. More toads were released around Ingram, Eyre, Mackay, and Bundaberg, and the toads spread like wildfire. Like wildfire. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. But at least they meant there'd be less beetles, right? Yeah, surely. The one question you think they consider is, they actually eat cane beetles, right? <laughs> right? Well, cane toads, cane beetles. Surely. Makes sense. Surely, cane toads. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is debated. Oh. <laughs> Again, from PetSmart, which has a great article that I'll link to in the show notes. 
There is no evidence of any pre-release testing by the Queensland Bureau of Sugarment Experiment Station That's entomologists so to determine if the toads even ate the cane beetles. That's amazing. They had to breed them and feed them. Why didn't they just <laughs> feed them? They had to check. Oh, but also, you got to think, like, I reckon a cane toad will probably eat anything, really. So, like, you give it a cane beetle and it eats it. You're like, yeah, I mean, there we go. Oh, true. But probably, they, they eat mice room. and stuff. They don't yeah. care. <laughs> the beetles that the toads were supposed to control were native Australian species, different to those causing problems in Hawaii, Puerto mm. Rico. Yet no trials were carried out to see if this translated to Australian conditions. Risk assessments of potential harms from the introduced species were not done either. Yeah. Yeah, good. Others say... No, they do eat some of the larvae at the bottom of the cane toads like they're supposed to. Okay. But they're also terrible for other native animals around them. Mm. It just so happens that the cane toads are toxic at all life stages, from eggs to adults. Oh, wow. And then their bodies as well. Same here. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to be consistent. (laughs) They have uh, large swellings called paratoid glands on each shoulder behind their eardrums. This is where they carry their milky white toxin mm-hmm. known as buffer toxin. Oh. Sounds scary. Yeah. Their skin and other glands across their backs are also toxic. That's, they th- Their poison couldn't even be pleasant. <laughs> yeah, it's all gross. It's all milky and disgusting. Milky sounds pleasant to me. <laughs> I, I feel like... I, but I feel like a milky poison yeah. is worse. Like if, if someone's like, you've got two poisons in front of you. One's milky, one's clear? Oh. You want the clear one? Or is clear bet worse? I feel like clear is going to get the job done in the quickest amount of That's time. That's what I think as well. With least damage to me. Milk right. sounds painful for some oh. reason. Yeah, I don't I know why. I feel like milk, whatever's going to happen, you're going to have the worst surprise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, yeah. where if it's, you know, a, you know, glowing green or red or something, I'm like, ah, <laughs> I'm getting what I get, you know? That's a classic poison, yeah. Ah, yeah, it's funny. I'd uh, I'd go the milky one. Really? What's yeah. appealing about the milky poison? I, I think it's reminding me of uh, milk. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, some sort of a, a medicine I'm vaguely remembering as a kid was oh, yeah. had that milky color. I think I know uh, the medicine you mean. Yeah, was it kind of like cherry flavor? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah and it, was, it was. Oh, for throats. Yeah, yeah, maybe for throats. And I'm like, so I think that's all it is. <laughs> okay, medicine's okay. like a poison. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a good poison. <laughs> yeah, positive poison. Well, native animals to Australia hadn't had time to adapt to the milky poison. <laughs> and many animals are killed each year trying to eat the toads. This included and still includes other natural predators of the cane beetle. So some stuff does eat the cane beetle. For example, goannas that eat the beetles were killed by attempting to eat the poisonous cane toads. <laughs> oh my God. And less goannas means less beetles being eaten. So overall, even if the toads are eating some of the beetles, they can't eat enough to make up for the other animals they kill <laughs> that are no longer there to eat the beetles. That's Oh my god. So, so it's not a plus game. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. And even larger predators like uh, freshwater crocodiles aren't safe. They've oh. suffered massive population declines due to consuming cane toads. The big ones, the saltwater crocs are usually okay though. They can eat yeah, cane toad they're tough. So let's release the saltwater crocs. Yeah, put a bunch of saltwater crocs in the cane field. <laughs> we might have to first release salt water. Yeah. But. That is, that is. oh my God, salted caramel cane. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's down with dog. Never mind. Never mind. It's fixed. But ima- imagine you are a crocodile. You've been alive right. forever. I'm there. <laughs> it didn't take you long to get into that. Little frog face. fucko. Yeah. Aww. Delicious. 
dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thousands and th- tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, maybe. Crocodiles yeah. are old. Yeah. yeah. All it took was one little chunky Aww. little cane toad. Yeah, have they? They're not like changed since dinosaur time. Yeah, they're like millions of years. Millions. Old. Of yeah. So they're millions of years old, and you've been able to eat whatever you like that whole time. <laughs> and this new thing comes along, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna oh. try and eat this. Oh, I can eat you this. guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then and they get killed. They're bite sized so as well for like a saltwater crocodile. It's insane you know? that that crocodile can. It that that poison ratio. It's is, enough. That's enough. Like enough. It, even. Yeah. Like, you think it'd be upset stomach or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. You, can, you can feed a dog a little bit of chocolate. It's like all about size ratio. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. You it's can bad feed for a dog them. a little They will be sick, <laughs> but they won't die. And like, that's so toxic if yeah. it's killing a whole croc. I, am I remembering this wrong that some animals lick them to get a natural high? Is that something else? I think that's uh, a kind of toad. I haven't read that about cane toad, toads. No, yeah. some animals do eat them. So there's a myth that nothing can eat them. But yeah. the, so things that eat them include wolf spiders. Okay, oh, that's, that's cool. insane. You know, that rolls. Uh, red-bellied black snakes. Oh, okay. yeah. Release yeah. the snakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put the snakes in the cane. Everybody just wears tough boots or whatever when they're dealing with the cane. They're really venomous Sugar. as well, aren't they? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, they top two. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, wolf spiders are also exceptionally venomous. Yeah. We have really cooked it. <laughs> Native water rats can have a go. Oh, okay. Oh, they're cute. Yeah, that's You're talking about so like wet. Jay Lagaya. <laughs> yeah. uh, crows. Oh, okay. Crows can eat them. Some kookaburras can eat toads and be fine, while others drop dead immediately. So they're playing roulette. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. So. God. So what is it? Just like a genetic thing in the kookaburra that means that yeah 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 some of them that's crazy unsusceptible to the poison. And as for humans, from the start, this is from the World Wildlife Fund, who see it as their duty to spread awareness. Despite popular ur- urban legend that licking cane toads can get you high, this is purely a myth. However, humans can get incredibly ill if the toxin is ingested, <laughs> and if sprayed with, it can cause intense pain, temporary blindness, and inflammation. If this is what it can do to humans, that it can definitely kill dogs, other household pets, and native animals. So they're saying, don't lick a toad. Surely there was a, a period of time where, because that myth is so prevalent. Mm. Yeah. Like people were like, I believe oh, until let's, today. let's get high and lick some cane toads. Oh, oh, thought, oh, no. I thought it was other kinds of toads. I thought there were special licking toads. Right. Yeah. I think there might be. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I just can't, don't lick a cane toad. Yeah, that one's just poison. <laughs> the same as mushrooms. You've got to pick the right one. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> There's like thousands of species of mushroom. <laughs> you just got to get the right one. Yeah. Portobello, <laughs> these are doing nothing <laughs> for me. I just feel nourished. <laughs> this is a scam. So not many anythings can eat them, but they can in turn eat anything. Yeah, okay. In fact, they will eat anything that they can swallow. They'll eat anything, both dead and living. This includes pet food that they come across, <laughs> animals that are dead. They'll just eat anything they they find. Household scraps, uh, but they mostly exist That's on. Handy, a, that could come. Yeah, put in you. We just put every house you, gets what, their green bin yeah. has a cane toad in it. <laughs> it's just a cane toad at the bottom of a bucket, but you don't let oh. them out. No, 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 no. Well, it actually, just gets big. Why not all of them? If they can eat anything, why don't you put them in also in the recycle? They eat cans, probably. Put them oh, yeah. in the tip. Yeah, put them in the tip, and they'll just, just, just set them up in landfill. Yeah, yeah. they'd be happy. They've got something to eat. Yeah, yeah. you just go like to the make, ground. Make sure it to them. There's a protective wall so they're not getting out. It's toxic anyway. Yeah, anyone about this? <laughs> hang like, on, hang on, hang on. Use your brains, guys. Yeah. Are we trying to fix something by introducing <laughs> yeah. a species? Is this how it starts? Yeah. They haven't made it to Melbourne yet, but maybe we could just we'll bring them down. We'll put them in the tip, here. it'll be put fine. 
Oh, they mostly exist on a diet of li- living insects. Okay. But, uh, there are bugs in the tip. Yeah. I know, I'm back yeah. on board. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, they just don't eat enough of the cane beetle to satisfy people. That's so funny. They also reproduce at an incredibly alarming rate. Mm. Female cane toads lay anywhere between eight to 30,000 eggs twice a year. Oh, my uh, God. These eggs hatch within one to three days and tiny tadpoles emerge. Do you mean eight, like... Eight thousand. Oh, eight thousand. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. I was also I'm like, what that. a wide range. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's eight thousand two thirty. Okay, yeah. that's still pretty huge. So, yeah, <laughs> even on the low low end, it's still a shitload. Yeah. Two, two, well, two cane toads could produce sixty thousand cane toads within a year. That's yeah, bonkers. That's banned. <laughs> and then so Tell they them. become tadpoles after three days. The tadpoles become toads after about a month. But tadpoles in warm, shallow water can develop in just 10 days. Oh, my God. So within 13 days. You got 60,000 kilos. <laughs> if, you, if they're in the right conditions. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Already, that's from one. That's from one. That's no good. That's We got to stop them. They're already toxic as tadpoles, too. So it's not like <laughs> yeah, they're anyone eggs as well. can eat them. Like, it's not like native animals can just go get them at tadpole stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're always toxic. Jesus. Uh, most sources estimate there's now 200 million cane toads across Australia, cool. although some put this figure as high as 1.5 billion. <laughs> How many Wyomings is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do oh, the Wyoming the math. That's Wyoming <laughs> number of Wyomings. <laughs> <laughs> We've got exponential Wyoming here. <laughs> Wyoming squares. Yeah. All in all, this means they have no natural predators or no, no serious natural predators. You know, some some eat them. <laughs> Casual they, predators. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they can't keep up and kill almost anything that they touch. They typically devastate a local local native predators by ninety percent within a few months of their arrival. Wow. And like I said at the top of the episode, cane toads have expanded through Australia's northern landscape, and they are now moving westward at an estimated forty to sixty kilometers per year. In February two thousand and nine, cane toads crossed the Western Australian border with Northern Territory which is over 2,000 kilometres from the site they were first released 74 yeah, years earlier. going for it. So they really... Go. you got to admire it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you reckon they know? Do you reckon they see too many of themselves around? They're like, this doesn't seem right. Oh I think God. they're like, we are living in a utopia. <laughs> yeah, this, this is all out. It's the year of the... It's the the time of the cane toad, especially the ones on the, the on the frontier. Yeah, it's like look at all this uneaten food. Exactly, yeah, you're first there. Wow, it's so much to consume. It would feel cool as an introduced species, and I mean, probably because it would be very awful to be transported. Yeah. But then being opened up into delicious food. Yeah, and they're like eat it all. They're like go oh, for it, eat away. That rules. No way. Yeah, we're not stopping you. <laughs> We can't. We're trying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just like the cane beetle before it, lots of ways to eradicate the pest have been proposed. In 2012, researchers experimented with training predators to avoid larger cane toads by feeding them smaller specimens, which would make them ill but would not kill them. Okay. Like a vaccine. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they call these taste aversion strategies, including feeding sausages made of minced amphibians to northern quolls. The quoll? The quoll's back. back. A carnivorous marsupial. Dave, it's nothing like a vaccine. Forget what I just said before. (laughs) Yeah, we don't get little Um, minced COVIDs. Little COVID sausage. Oh, God, that'd be good. Imagine if all of the government rollouts were sausage for us. We got democracy sausage and they're like, here's a COVID sausage. They're like, everyone line up for your flu sausage. Oh, there'd still be people saying, don't eat. 
eat the sausage. Don't eat the sausage. The government sausage is controlling your mind. How do we know where it was cooked? <laughs> How do we know? Believable that there were microchips in a sausage. <laughs> it's easier yeah. to fit a microchip in a sausage. <laughs> yeah. Make I sure to swallow. You, you feel it crunch. You'd be yeah. like. They're like, swallow all the gristle. <laughs> Make sure. Or you'd have, you know how some people for the vaccine were like, okay, when you get vaccinated, um, wrap your arm in like, what it was, charcoal or something. They're yeah. like, it'll suck the microchip out or like magnetize oh, your wow. arm and it'll yeah. it'll negate it. Um, Why are you telling me this now? <laughs> but it was like, you know, do this in the hours after your vaccine and yeah. all the microchips will be gone or whatever. Be like, all right, eat the sausage, but chew. <laughs> chew really hard. Yeah. Chew it for 10 minutes and then you'll eat the microchip. A little crunch and the person administering the sausage is like, yeah, what was that sound? <laughs> <laughs> Can you eat another one real quick, actually? <laughs> Here's a free one. <laughs> so the, the plan with the quals was they, they eat the meat which caused vomiting in the hope that they'll put them off eating any toes again. Mm. They go, oh, I don't want that. Yeah, yeah, work. yeah. But, and or it's do they also... just not trust sausages anymore? <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Because how do they know it's a sausage? I guess it's smell. Yeah, right. I suppose. Maybe the taste. Like, they yeah. get a little bit of it. They're like, they're like oh, wait. Oh, yuck. This is that's that like thing. that foul sausage. Yeah. It hasn't been widely form? introduced, so yeah. it's not. I don't think it's been a super success. Maybe they yeah. form the sausage into the shape of a toad. <laughs> yeah, it's made <laughs> out of toad meat in the shape of a toad. Toad or cake. Uh, strategies for population control have also been proposed. This is similar to the mosquito thing, Cass. Oh, yeah. One involves the release of sterile males into the population. Oh, okay, cool. These males would compete for resources with other males while themselves not being able to reproduce. Mm. A second strategy... So they've would- had... So they're having little vasectomies? <laughs> yeah. And they're putting them back out there. <laughs> but they but, don't know. But then, like, also training them to be real badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tough, <laughs> impotent guys. <laughs> That's what will save the day. A uh, second strategy would be to insert a gene into female toads, which would allow them to only create male offspring. Oh, okay. That works. Eventually, you know, breed them down. Like yeah, in yeah. Jurassic Boys Park. Club, boys club. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boys club, indeed. In 2005, David... Real sausage fest. (laughs) (laughs) Calls are like, oh, no. Uh, 2005, David Tolner, a former federal MP, famously urged Northern Territory residents to help squash the problem with their golf clubs and cricket bats. Oh no, that wasn't a that wasn't a fun little pun. Yeah, that was just that was just what's happening. Yeah. So effectively turning eradication into sport, animal rights groups were outraged at this and he copped a lot, a lot yeah. of backlash. I have heard that um hitting cane toes with the car makes a really big bang. Oh. Like running them over oh. makes a noise and I think people Is that it for a pops? while were encouraged. Yeah, it makes a big popping noise and people for a while were like Pretty cool. If you see a cane toe you've run it over. Right, because it Not good. Not yeah. good. <laughs> I think that a problem with that is that I think the eggs survive. Yeah, they, I think they I've can, heard that yeah. too. Oh, they're toxic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no one's eating them because we trained can, them not to. Yeah, good. So the, so the RSPCA in Darwin they recommend killing captured amphibians by smearing them with either hemorrhoid cream, which I'm sure we've all got at hand <laughs> oh, at all yeah. time, which acts as an anaesthetic. They also recommend putting the toads in the fridge to cool them down. This immobilizes them and uh, and anaesthetizes them before putting them in the freezer for twenty four hours, where they slowly just fall asleep and die. Apparently, I don't that's want to the, put a cane toad yeah, in my fridge. That's what my fridge is. So the reason I'm doing this report is I got fascinated with cane toads. My sister's moved to Brisbane, and we're up there for Christmas. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, don't mind the cane toads in the freezer." Because they what? have them in their backyard and to kill them humanely. That's what they recommend. What the fuck? And I was fuck? like, what do you mean? Aren't they poisonous? Yeah, you, you wrap them in plastic bags, I think, is, is the recommendation. That's oh. so crazy. And smear them in, yeah. In hemorrhoid cream. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Cover them yeah. in hemorrhoid cream. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine they got real smooth. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> rid of the box. Get rid of all the warts. <laughs> yeah, we, we go to the, the pharmacist. Yeah. They're like, oh, cane toads? 
No. (laughs) (laughs) But overall, so far, there isn't a national eradication strategy, which is a little worrying considering how far they're spread and how destructive they can be. Yeah, It feels like they should have... Would have got on the same page by now. Yeah, we've yeah. had d- decades of them continually moving. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. But it's pa- a CSIRO. Yeah, doing. what are they there's doing? No, there's no. Fu- apparently Apart there's from, no- although they didn't they lose all their funding. Yeah, Maybe. and there's no funding for this either. Apparently, apparently really? there should be more funding. That's so weird. Think, is there a conspiracy that up <gasps> at the top <gasps> levels, Big Toad, <laughs> Big Toad is like? <laughs> That's why all our scientific funding's been dropping because <laughs> Big Toad's in the ear of government. <laughs> It's what makes Vegemite so delicious is cane toad poisons. <laughs> so they'd never kill them all. Uh, the state of Queensland in some ways have embraced their association with the pest. Oh, okay. Cane toad is a colloquial term for an inhabitant of Queensland, particularly the state's state of origin rugby league team members and supporters. Yeah. <laughs> That's fa- Like, I get it. Like, in a way, the cane toad is lovable. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah. I can see that. He's like a, everybody's grumpy old uncle. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? They are, and, in terms of sport, they're an unstoppable force. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, like, what are the whites if not a cane toad yeah. on this beautiful yeah. land? You know, I reckon that's a fair name. Yeah, 100%. Townsville holds an annual Toad Day Out. Oh, okay. On March 29, where the community learn about and catch cane toads with prizes for the largest toad court. It's mainly for kids. Okay. And the heaviest weight of toad's court. Then the toads are killed humanely with gas. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so it's like, that's insane. That's like a kid's that's festival. so they're like, funny. Hey, kids, I assume they're like, wear gloves because <laughs> these are poisonous. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then they're like, ha, 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 We're sending the toads yeah, away now. Right. Well done, little... T- what did you think they were going to do with them? No, Re-release just, them? You said they were embracing them. It's like, just so yeah, funny take, to take be like, WA. little Susan, well done. You win the blue ribbon for the biggest cane toad. What's going to happen to it now? It's going to be gas. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> now we're going to drop a large anvil on top of them. <laughs> yeah, why aren't they putting them in a big freezer? Yeah, exactly. Why are they gassing them? No, I think that it's, so it's, it's even... To do mass. It's the, the quickest way. I yeah. think you, CO2 is very... It is seen this as is very, like the car, car exhaust. Sort yeah, of. I think it's seen yeah. as very humane, but just not many people have access to it. Yeah, so that's it's, fair. Everyone, most people have a fridge. I'd be worried yeah. if you were dropping heavy things on them, it'd be like a Looney Tunes situation where you like drop <laughs> a, a, a safe on a cane toad and it just opens it up and gets <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> it like waddles away all flat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> we made him wider. <laughs> the, the, um, yeah, I I reckon I saw a story on... on uh, TV, yeah. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but it was it was about these little groups going around in Melbourne, collecting the introduced minor birds, bagging yeah. them up, putting them in the freezer to sort of knock them out, yeah. and then um, taping that to their exhaust. And they're oh like, my "This God. that's such an intense Jesus. way to do it." Yeah, and they were like, "This is," and they were doing like bags a day. Wow, <laughs> it's surely got to be. But I mean, I know this is the same thinking that got us the cane toad. But surely there's got to be a way to do it that doesn't involve like individual little like collecting them and freezing them, where we can just yeah, there's yeah, some an, some sort of natural yeah, method that takes introduce. care of itself. It's never you're never gonna make a dent in it. Yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like. Yeah, but then but you're I, just doing the same thing. Well, I think they what feel like we? they're doing their part. It's just, you know, get get together with the boys, do a few bags. <laughs> yeah. oh, God. <laughs> How many bags did you do? Like? <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe this, but it was published in the Sydney Morning Herald. The Toad Day Out in 
in Townsville was inspired. It's it's I'm quoting now yeah. by a 1993 episode of the Simpsons TV cartoon show in which residents were called upon to beat as many snakes to death as possible it's, for the annual I've, Whacking Day. I thought of Whacking Day. <laughs> me, so me too. It's day, inspired I was like, oh, by that's so funny. It's like Whacking Day. It's inspired by Whacking that's Day. That's amazing. Incredible snakes. <laughs> yeah, I love this sexy slither. <laughs> Quimby with his pre-wax snakes. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny because. The episode is not kind to Whacking Day. No, <laughs> no. They let them live. Yeah, yeah. But in this, they're like, oh, like in the real yeah, life, they, they're like, oh, wouldn't like how great it is on The Simpsons. We'll do it. Yeah, I, to be honest, I've never finished an episode of The Simpsons. I just watched like the first sixteen or seventeen minutes. Somebody's just ba- vaguely described the episode <laughs> yeah. to and, me. So, and then the Australian episode. Yes, is also. Oh, you're better. Mm. I was going to finish with you know you've made it when The Simpsons parody you, and that has happened to Cane Toads. On the season six episode, back when it was great too, mm. Bart versus Australia, a toad-like creature seems to be taking over. There you a go. The guy says, these bloody things are everywhere. They're in the lift, in the lorry, in the Bond wizard, <laughs> and all over them along the gilded Chuck. <laughs> doesn't Bart, or someone calls it a toad at yeah, one point, and says, that's a funny name. <laughs> I would have called it a Charles Wuzzle. <laughs> yeah. Marge says, we call them bullfrogs. But yeah, it's clearly a... Parody of the cane toad. That's so, amazing. So you know you've Jesus. made it. Yeah, that's it. Oh, absolutely. That's that's fame right but, um, there. I wish I had answers for you as to what we're going to do about it, but I don't think there is one at the moment. Wait, surely. Amazing. okay. We'll just introduce some sort of poisoned bug that's more <laughs> delicious than anything that a cane toad Well, like, can we introduce something that's like that? So, yes, it will become a problem, but it's going to breed slower so it'll be easier to take care of. You know, like so, like say we went the saltwater crocodile route, okay? Yeah. yeah. We know one saltwater crocodile can probably eat like a hundred toads, and then well, it's can't be that hard to get rid of a saltwater crocodile, I mean, right? You can just yeah, they're on land off, especially. Yeah. yeah set, fence off some area, like really fence it off. <laughs> yeah. Drop a couple of saltwater crocs in there. Yeah. Or maybe one, pretty territorial. Yeah. And once he's once he's eaten all these frogs, take him home. Move the fence to a different bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just fence in little areas. Yeah, time. maybe put the fence on wheels. Yeah. <laughs> with a remote control and it's just slowly oh, no, moving you'd, you'd across the land. It, you'd need to keep it fenced off so that no cane toads got in. Okay. Yeah. Mm. We're going to have to divvy up the land with oh, little yeah. fences. Yeah, and have a gate. Let can, them into the gate. Can you train a crocodile? Well, then we, we domesticate them, I basically. Think it's, Bob I think it's could. rude to think we could. <laughs> I think if... I think if we... Managed to domesticate a crocodile. That crocodile's smarter than the person who trained mm. it. You know what? I think actually the solution we talked about earlier in this episode with the Burmese python. What's that eating heaps of? Frogs. What are okay. frogs kind of toads? Yeah. <laughs> You're going in with similar logic. To <laughs> they, they bugs, right? <laughs> they frogs. Toads and frogs are yeah, basically we'll che- the same we'll check. thing. Oh, someone will check. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. I won't check, but someone's going to look Surely. into it. Because it would be crazy for us not to. And then we're releasing thousands of pipes. <gasps> crazy frog. <gasps> Could release the ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Just drive them wild. <laughs> they love it and start boning even more. Yeah. Oh, oh no! <laughs> the crazy frog starts breeding. Yeah. Why oh. are you testing? <laughs> oh, no. They've developed little penises. <laughs> and aviation goggles. <laughs> and little vests. Why did they develop pants? <laughs> Can we just show the crazy frog's penis on TV? That's really awesome, I think. <laughs> We've gone backwards, haven't we? Yeah, I wouldn't we really get away have. with that anymore. We used to be a, a real country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Showing the crazy frog's penis on prime time. 
Well, Jackson Bailey, Cass Page, thank you so much for joining us to talk about cane toes and other ridiculously <laughs> ridiculous decisions to introduce uh, species around yeah. the world. If you were to introduce an animal, what would it be? Oh, uh, great question. From another place? Yeah. I'm going to go uh, polar bear okay. to the outback. And let's see if it loses its fur or something. Oh. We get yeah, like, like a hot term. bear. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> and you got to do it like they've done and have bring heaps of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put them in a tent to mate for a bit <laughs> yeah. and then release them. So there's like a million. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, the, obviously, the bear will just get too hot and die. But yeah. we want enough that in like 400 years, we're like, you know that hairless bear? Yeah. That was introduced yeah. by Jackson after an episode <laughs> of Do Go On. <laughs> and that's oh. what it's like 4,000 years now we call dingoes. Native. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, 4,000 years, the hairless bear, mm. our yep. native bear. Yeah, because, yeah. like, you know, can you say any anything is, is native after after a long time? <laughs> yeah. You go back to, like, when we're, like, Gondwan or something. <laughs> 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 exactly. Used to be, I yeah. mean, it was all... Huh? Uh, maybe, the, maybe the definition is, did they walk there? Yeah, exactly. If they walked there, native. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, Cass, if you introduce an animal, what are you going to pick? Um... Oh, I reckon it would be really cool to, you know, those like micro bats or micro sugar gliders that oh, are yeah. only like five centimeters tall. Um, yes. Bring those into the suburbs. Oh, I yeah. Th- I want those instead of mice. Yeah, they oh, are okay. cute. Yeah, they great. can be up high mice. They can like, imagine instead of little cobwebs in your corner, you just got a tiny little bat or a sugar glider just hanging out in the eaves. That rolls. That would be cute. I feel like enough people have those old share houses that have picture railings in them. That yeah. A little sugar guider sneaking across there. <laughs> that would be jumping great. from eve to eve. <laughs> I, I would prefer that. And then they can kick out uh, the introduced mice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Our native mice are beautiful. Yeah, they are. They're very nice. Very, very lovely. Now, if we want to hear more of you guys, you guys do multiple podcasts. Where, where can we hear those and what are they? God, we're sick with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Riddled it's with disgusting. podcasts. Well, we both do d and for nerds. Yeah, that's true. If you like Dungeons and Dragons, you can listen to d and for nerds. Yeah. I personally do Plumbing the Death Star, Thumb Cramps, Baseless Speculation. That might be it. <laughs> d and for nerds. Yeah. I'm also on Shut Up a Second, which Jackson's on sometimes yeah, as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll sometimes pop I in. pop into a thumb cramps. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's all. Just go to sandsmithradio.com, click on a podcast. Oh, it's all there. We'll be in one of them, guaranteed. Uh, and you want to find me personally? I'm at All Dogs Are Dead on Twitter. And I'm at Cass Cass Page. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm going to be thinking about cane toads for the rest <laughs> of the freaking week. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back in the room. Sadly, I have. Had to depart from Matt. Well, Matt had to depart from me. He had to watch uh, an NFL game in an Irish pub. You know, cultured activities uh, like that really awaited him. So he had to leave. It's Dave here, by the way. And um, it's going to be solo tonight. A solo mission through what everyone is calling their favourite section of the show. And I'm pretty happy about that, that I've been trusted uh, with the favourite part of the show. Now we've got that pesky report out of the way. It's on to a thing that we like to call the fact, quote, or question which has a jingle that goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question, ding. Almost lost it, but saved it, I reckon. Always remembers the ding and absolutely nailed it. Uh, This is the part of the show where we like to thank the people that make it possible, our fantastic Patreon supporters. And those people have been to either dogoonpod.com or patreon.com slash dogoonpod, and they've signed up. To support the show, which is fantastic, because otherwise we can't do it every single week. We're approaching our 350th week in a row coming up very, very soon. So this is amazing, and it could not have been uh, possible without these supporters. 
And in exchange for your support and their support, you can get uh, a bunch of rewards, including three bonus episodes a month. I just put out one just a couple of days ago now that uh, was a mini report on Thomas Fitzpatrick, who stole and landed two planes on the street of New York City. Why, you ask? The answer, of course, is a drunken bet. (laughs) A drunken bet. Or two. Or two. Uh, so we put out nearly 150 of those bonus episodes now, and sometimes people ask, oh, how long do they go for? Well, last month, Matt did one, which uh, went for over two hours. So you really get bang for your buck there, when he went through every single reference in the the song, We Didn't Start the Fire. All those things, Billy Joel song, everything that he referenced in that song, Matt explained all of them, and it was fantastic, very, very fun. But yeah, two-hour episode, that awaits you as well as 100. 40-something other episodes, and you get access to all the back catalogue as soon as you support the show on that level, and then you get three bonus episodes going forward. So yeah, check it out. A bunch of other rewards too, but uh, that does seem to be a popular one. And uh, you also get, at a certain level, to be part of the fact, quote, or question, which is uh, amazingly what this segment is called, a bit of nominative determinism at its finest. With uh, this section, um, people that support the show at this level, the Sydney Scheinberg Deluxe Package, we call that level, they get to write in, give themselves a title, and also submit a fact, quote, or question. Now, Matt usually reads these out, and uh, when he reads them out, it's usually the first time he's reading them out. And it's the same for me. I haven't looked ahead, so I don't know what I'm going to be bringing out Well, uh, if I've got fact, quotes, or questions. But thank you, first of all, to Jessica English. Thank you, Jessica the title that Jessica's given themselves is Pirate Attorney No Longer in Charge of International Waters Podcast. And there's, there's a little note here. No, you can consider this my resignation. The pirates have asked me to represent them. Well, congratulations on the upgrade. Obviously, I'd rather work for a pirate than a podcaster. Absolutely. They have all the booty. But um, you've been doing fantastic work, Jessica. Sadly, we haven't been able to get the podcast into international waters yet, but it is still my absolute dream. If I could do uh, a gig anywhere, it would be there. Possibly Caesar's Palace. <laughs> no, we're definitely not international waters. Uh, thanks, Jesse English, uh, who's written in a question. Okay, fantastic. Okay. The question is, I'm going through a movie right now. I'm going through a move. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I really should have proofread these. I'm going through a move right now. Okay, no, I'm not going through a movie. So I've been polling everyone. I know. What is your best tip or life hack for moving or surviving the stress of a move? Fantastic. Okay, my thing is give yourself time. The last move I did, we did not give ourselves any time at all. And in the end, we were literally just throwing shit into boxes. Stuff was getting broken. <laughs> Stuff still disappeared. We don't know where it is. Or, you know, we'd have like our, our Christmas nutcracker next to our fine china, next to a lamp, <laughs> next to the dog food. Like it would just be <laughs> absolute random shit in a box. And it, we thought, you know... Oh, we'll, just, well, let's unpack it on the other end. Who really cares? But it was so stressful on the other end that nearly 18 months later, there is still some stuff in boxes. Um, and they're all just misc. You know, you label a box, all of them were misc. We just have misc. So <laughs> that would be my number one tip is, yeah, the stress. The other one is, don't be afraid to, if you can afford to, get a mover, I think, especially for the big stuff. So we just got a, a mover in for a couple of hours to do the fridge and the, the washing machine and stuff like that. And it really, it really saves your back, you know? <laughs> and you may not know this, but um, 
I'm not the strongest of people, so watching other people do it. Then I've also got to do the awkward thing where I'm like, G'day, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just put the fridge down there. Yeah, no worries. Oh, in the fridge, Hutch? Yes, that, that makes more sense. That's better than in the toilet. All right, you know what you're doing. I'll leave it to the professionals. Uru, see you later. So that's, uh, that's my number one tip for you, Jessica English. If anyone else has any others, we do have a fantastic Facebook group for our Patreon supporters, so I'm sure that someone might be able to post in the group and tag Jessica to say what they think. Uh, next up, we've got Nathan Damon. Thank you so much for your support, Nathan. Just giving, him, giving us a fact. Oh, also, the uh, the nickname is Ferocious... Oh, no, Ferris Relocation Expert. Ferris Relocation Expert. Ferris is a metal containing carbon. Okay. Great work. I know that Nathan drives uh, road trains, large trucks over in WA. So is that what you're moving? Ferris. Maybe. And the fact is, let's have a look. He said, now I thought r- recipe was one of the headings. Oh, we've also, it only says fact, quote, a question, but uh, absolutely recipes are welcome. And he says, well, it is now. This is for my famous bolognese toasted sandwiches. Man, I'm so up for this. All right, everyone, pens at the ready. Firstly, take two slices of white bread. I recommend buying a loaf of sliced bread from an Australian supermarket. It's the best thing since. Dot, dot, dot. You fill that in. Next, you will need leftover cold bolognese. I recommend my home-cooked recipe made the day before. My kids love it. If enough people ask this recipe, I'll be publishing on the Patreon Facebook group within a week of Matt, or in this case, Dave, reading this out. For non-Patreons, sign up. That is... That's a bit of sizzle for how good your bolognese is. Please post. If even if no one else asks, I want to know. I love I love a spag bowl, or some people call it bog, but that's controversial. Anyway, thickly spread the bolognese over one slice of bread. I find the back of a spoon works best. I'm loving this because I hate. I'm a very bad cook, and when I get out a recipe, and they sort of assume that you know what you're doing, I absolutely hate that. I've been getting recipes lately where it says step one, read the recipe, and that's when I know it's written for a person of my cooking ability. Step one, read the recipe, idiot. Okay, next up from Nathan, grate some mozzarella cheese over the sauce. Pre-grated works just fine. Love that. Then complete the sandwich by placing the second slice of bread on top. Of the assembly of yumminess. This honestly is written for me. Now get your George Foreman grill. Fuck. All right, I've got to order that. I'm on eBay now. Plug it in and place sandwich in it, pressing gently. Oh, this. All right, I uh, I've actually purchased one too soon. See how they've hit by now on eBay. But he, Nathan writes, if you don't own a George, get one. Okay. <laughs> well, I have good. But I suppose another type of sandwich press might work. But no promises. Great. No one's going to be holding you to account there. Cook until the outside is brown and cheese melted. This should allow sufficient time for the bolognese to heat up to the perfect temp. Now, grab a beer, put the Saints game on. The Eagles aren't doing so well. Go Saints and enjoy. I don't trust a recipe that doesn't say enjoy at the end. I really don't. Nathan has got another tip here. For more cooking tips, simply Google cooking tips. That's what I do. That's a good tip. Love the show, guys, and go Saints. I'm on the bandwagon. Thanks, Nathan Damon. If anyone makes this recipe, I would love to see love to see these sandwiches. And please, Nathan, post, post in the Facebook group. I really want to see your recipe for spaghetti bolognese. Next up, and uh, usually it's Matt's job to pronounce his name a couple of different ways, Alex Bacci or Bacchi. 
This, the problem is I've heard Matt say it both ways so many times. I don't know what's right, Alex. I'm so sorry. But the fact is you've given yourself the title of Minister of Pittsburgh Facts. Oh, yes. All right. And it is a fact. This makes sense. Alex writes, most Americans think the Lewis and Clark expedition actually started in St. Louis, but actually it began in Pittsburgh. There you go. They started on the Ohio River, which begins in Pittsburgh. P.S. This would be a great topic for a report. I think I'll put it in the hat, but if not, here it is again. Imagine Burke and Wills, except they didn't split the party. Thanks, Yins. Yins, we of course learned recently that that is uh, a local, local slang over there. Yins. Alex, you're my yin. Can I say that? I don't know. I don't know how to put it into context. But thank you so much. And finally, it's Roy Phillips. Roy Phillips, you're an absolute legend. And their title is Chips Chopper, Chip Shipper, and Chip Checker for a Chip Shop. Yes! Got it. Thank you so much, Roy, for trying to try to pull one over there, but you didn't. It's a question, and that is, what's your least favorite part about flying? Okay, I'm assuming you mean the process of flying in an aeroplane, not getting up there. I mean, the lack of oxygen, <laughs> if you're really up high. My least favourite part, I've got to say, if it is about the process of flying, going through an airport and all that sort of stuff, it has to be, yep, it's got to be when you're at security and you get to the bit where you have to have your stuff scanned. You put in those little trays, they x-ray it, whatever. I hate how there's no consistency about whether you have to take your laptop or tablet out of your bag. And I feel like I always want to do the right thing. So I say to them, laptop out, laptop out. And every time I ask that, they say, they look at you like, no, of course not. We don't do that here. But anytime you don't say that, they go, is there a laptop in here? You got to take that out. Oh, you, of course you got to take that out. So I feel like I can never get that right. It's the same with my boots that I like to wear. Boots on, boots off. And they look at you like, mate, why would I get you to take your boots off, you idiot? That's gross. Or if you don't, they go, mate, not in those boots. Take them off. So you can't win. And I, I overthink that moment. I stress too much, especially if you've been awake for 24 hours, as is the case when you fly anywhere internationally from Australia. I think that's it. Least favorite part about flying. I'm going to go on a, uh, a bit of a trip soon. I'm flying back to Europe. And yeah, now I'm not looking forward to that bit. But the rest of it's pretty good. I love... I don't mind flying, especially long haul, because I like... The fact that unlike anywhere else, you're uncontactable. It's like you have to sit back and that's it. It's time to watch movies if you're on a plane with movies, obviously. And yeah, like there's nothing you can do. And when they offer you Wi-Fi, I'm always like, no, why would I want to be contactable? This is my, my one little time where I don't exist on planet Earth and I love that. So looking forward to that. That's my favorite part about flying. Anyway, great. Also, the food is a lot better than people think. But also I have very basic taste and I love mushy, mushy food. All right, thanks to Roy, Alex, Nathan, and Jessica. And now it's time to thank a few more Patreon supporters. These are the people that have uh, been supporting the show. And uh, one of the rewards is a shout-out. And uh, some of these people have been waiting over a year to get their shout-out. So let's get to them now. And usually we play a little game where we come up with something uh, related to the topic to assign each of these absolute legends. And I'll tell you what, when I was researching this topic, Cane Toads came up on the list of the 100 of the world's worst invasive alien species made by the Global Invasive Species Database. I just thought it was the greatest thing ever, that 100 of the world's worst invasive alien species. Uh, so how about I give each of you one of these species to do with what you will. 
either introduce it into your own backyard or perhaps it is your job to eradicate this. It's up to you whether you want to be part of the problem or the hero in your own story. First up, I would like to thank from Newport and what I believe is Wales, it's James Raymond. James Raymond, let me look at my little list here. How about I give you the Clarius batricus, which is a fish, aka the walking fish. Walking fish. It is native to Southeast Asia and is invasive in North America. And it is named for its ability to walk and wiggle across dry land to find food or suitable environments. So it doesn't truly walk, it wiggles. The wigglefish. Uh, how about that? You happy with that, James Raymond? Do we do what you will with that. If you want to introduce that to Wales, that's absolutely up to you. I would advise against it, but it's your prerogative. Thanks so much for your support. I'd like to thank also now from Perth, but in the ACT, it says here, it's Aidan Sweeney. All right, Aidan, let me go down this list. How about I'm going to give you another one from Asia. It's the Lamantria dispar, an insect, which is invasive worldwide. Okay, great, Mr. Worldwide. It is the pit bull of insects and is the Asian spongy moth, also called the Asian gypsy moth. There you go. It, it looks big. Though, having said that, I am just looking at like a blown-up photo of it. There's nothing for scale here, so I don't know. It's introduced to nearly all the continents, possibly not Antarctica. There you go. Aiden, you're already worldwide. Good stuff. Hey, next up, I'd like to thank from Moxie in WA... And the name here is This Week in iPhone Podcast. This Week in iPhone. Great. A podcast you can subscribe to on your iPhone, I assume. Thank you so much for your support. All the way from Moxie. I said WA. I meant Washington, not Western Australia. Washington, the US. Moxie, Washington. It's This Week in iPhone Podcast. Let me give you a mammal. This is the Oratelagus caniculus, which is a mammal also known as the European rabbit. Oh, that's the one I was talking about on this episode. Invasive in Australia and New Zealand. There you go. That's your problem now this week in iPhone Podcast. Thanks so much. How about now from staying in America, Texas, Roger H. Flores. And you're in Austin. Stay weird. Which a reliable source, Matt Stewart, tells me is possibly kind of the uh, the saying over there. Roger H. Flores, keep stay weird or keep it weird. And it is... With a herb, you'll be doing that. The Sphagnetocola trilobata, also known as creeping, eye ox, creeping ox eye or the Singapore daisy, invasive worldwide. Singapore daisy sounds lovely. The creeping ox eye sounds creepy. Honestly, I'm looking at it, it looks like a daisy. It's beautiful. That I don't really see it as an ox eye, but uh, there you go. People love or hate this. Hate this one with that name. Hey, thanks, Roger. And I'd like to thank from London now, where I will be very soon with the Book Cheat podcast, and I really hope you'll be there. On August the 10th, I'm doing a one-off Book Cheat show, which I assume I've announced by now on this at the start of an episode. But um, yes, August the 10th, a one-off Book Cheat, me and a couple of special guests at 229 The Venue. There's a ticket link in the description of this episode, and maybe you will get to see me and also Tina. Tina from London, thank you so much, Tina, for your support. And I'm going to dedicate to you... What have I got here? It's a tree, the Lucania leucophala, also known as the white lead tree or the false koa. I also like the name jumbie bean. Invasive throughout the hotter regions of the world, native to Central America. 
Hot. Sounds hot. I'm looking at that's a hot plant. That is absolutely that's popping. It's popping off the page. Because that was also called the River Tamarind. Love these names. Hey Tina, thanks so much. I'd like to thank now from Yuma in Arizona. Giovanna Reed. Giovanna Reed from Yuma. And I'm going to give to you a mammal. It's called... <laughs> well, I, honestly, I'm just scrolling up and down the list. And I've found Rattus Rattus. Also known as the Black Rat, Blue Rat, Bush Rat, European House Rat, Roof Rat, Ship Rat. I've been everywhere, man. And it's invasive worldwide. The Rattus Rattus. Honestly, one of the most popular populous animals out there, you'd imagine. And now you're in charge of them. Giovanna. Good luck. I'm sure you've got some in Yuma. I'd also like to thank from California in San Jose, Christina Howell. Christina Howell. Let me have a look. I'm going up to the top of the list. Oh, how about the Carcinus manus, a crustacean, known also as the European green crab or the shore crab, which is invasive in North America, Australia, parts of the South America and South Africa, originally from Europe and Northern Africa. There you go. I'm looking at it. That's a... You know, it's a pretty classic-looking crab. People do not like how invasive it is, but um, I think it's a good-looking crab. Can't argue with that. Thank you uh, so, so much, Christina. I'd also like to thank from Bristol in the greatest of Britons. Love Bristol, beautiful city. Anna Wang. Anna Wang. Okay, I'm going up and down the list. Let me get to... Oh, I haven't had one of these yet. A fungus. The Phytophthora cinnamomi. Also known as the cinnamon fungus or green fruit rot. I know which one I'd prefer to be called. Also called the stem canker. All good band names here. Cinnamon fungus, green fruit rot, and the steam cankers. And uh, yes, it produces an infection which causes a condition in plants called root rot. Oh, okay. It's not very nice. But hey, if you're in charge of it, Anna Wang, maybe you'll be taking care of it. People will absolutely love you if you do that. Thank you so much. And finally, I would like to thank from Reading in Great Britain, it is Ashley Hunker. Ashley Hunker. Okay, how about this? I'm going to give you a mollusk. Love the word mollusk. Uh, specifically, the Pomacea canaliculata. A mollusk, also known as the Apple snail, channeled apple snail, golden apple snail. That sounds delicious. Are they edible? Let me look them up. South American in origin. It's also ranked as the 40th worst alien species in Europe and the worst alien species of gastropod in Europe. Oh, man, people do not like these. But can, can you eat them? Human use. I'm on the wiki page now. The species is edible. Fantastic. Apparently in China and Southeast Asia. You eat them uh, raw or undercooked. Oh, fantastic. Well, sounds delicious. Ashley Hunker, you can enjoy enjoy those. They're also invasive in Hawaii. Hmm. There you go. Hey, thank you so much to all the fantastic people supporting the show uh, now in charge of an invasive species. I, I Sorry to put that on top of you, but, um, you know, someone's got to deal with and or exploit these things. James, Aiden, This Week in iPhone, Roger, Tina, Giovanna, Christina, Anna, and Ashley. And Ashley, should say there. Not Ashley. Hashtag Ashley. 
Maybe that's what I was going for. And finally, it's time to check in on the Triptych Club. Now, this is a little secret club we've developed for people that have been on the show for three or supporting the show. Actually, you know, I've been on the show for three consecutive years, and I've I've got uh, I've got the master key. Though this club never closes, so we don't even bother locking the front door. But um, people that have been supporting the show at the shout-out level or above for three consecutive years, congratulations. We appreciate your support. And by doing that, we induct you into a, a really a Hall of Fame, a bar where um, good things happen. Uh, and if you're on, you get on the guest list, you're, on, you're in forever. You're absolutely on the Hall of Fame. Name goes up on the wall. And uh, at this club, Jess usually organises food and drinks. Uh, I've actually got a, a cocktail this week that I've been working on. It's called the Cane Toad. What it is, you lick a Cane Toad, uh, and then you take a shot of uh, the Cane Toad anti-venom, and then also uh, a shot of bourbon after that to take away the taste. And repeat throughout the night as you see fit. So that's called the Cane Toad. People said there's no use for Cane Toads, but I found one. Absolutely have found one. And as for a live band, you're never going to believe it, guys. I've actually booked this. It's been, we've been in contact back and forth for over a year. I first found these guys on Triple J Unearthed, uh, a great metal slash punk slash rock band from Capricornia in Queensland. And they finally agreed to play the show tonight at the Triptych Club. And that is, you're not going to believe it, they're called Cane Toad. Cane Toad. I heard them, I listened to their song Dressed for Pleasure on... Triple J Unearthed, and I just had to hear more live. So, fantastic. Great. It would be great to have Taz, Jimmy, Aaron, and Mitch from Cane Toad rocking out the club tonight. And finally, it's only only one thing left to do, and that's to check if there's anyone on the guest list. Any new inductees? Obviously, um, Matt usually stands by with a velvet rope, but I'll have to do that this week on myself. Uh, as I hype people up, everyone else is in the club. I'm on stage reading out the new guests as uh, people from the cult, I mean club, uh, welcome welcome the other inductees in. Usually come up with a bit of a, a pump up on their name, trying to, you know, make them feel welcome in the club. So uh, here we go. And Jess usually pumps me up. So behind every hype man is a hype woman. Sadly, she's not here at the moment, so I will have to hype myself up as well. So here we go. I'm about to lose my mind on the record. Here we go. I'd like to welcome in, first of all, Alan Gilsonan from an unknown location. Alan Gilsonan, more like Thrillsonan when you're around, Alan. Yes, he's done it again. Fantastic. I'd also like to thank from Candler in North Carolina, which I know a fun fact about, but I don't have enough time. So sorry. But it's Therese or Teresa LaVallee. Therese or Teresa LaVallee. Um, how about uh, a real releaser of endorphins seeing you here tonight? How about that? Or really, you really, uh, Therese, all of my bad feelings. That's one for different pronunciations of your name. Obviously, if I get it wrong, you get to run out, uh, join the end of the line and come back in and I'll welcome you all the same. So, Therese or Teresa, I've got something for everyone. And I'd like to thank also from Footscray here in Victoria, it's Kyra Jacobson. Kyra on fire with Kyra. Woo, yeah, fantastic. I would like to thank from... They've given the pronunciation, which I appreciate. From Cymru, Cymru in, I believe is in Wales. It's Dafford Stone. Dafford Stone. I feel so good. I thought I was stoned. But it was just seeing Dafford here. You're like a drug. Woo, you're a legend. I'm really running out of steam here. There's only one more to go. And finally, I'd like to thank from Pakenham in Victoria. And their name listed here is Astro underscore Jess. This night is really blasting off. Pew, pew, pew. 
with AstroJazz. Woo! Hey, thank you so much to Alan, Therese, the Teresa. I've really lost that name there. Kyra, Dafford, and Astro Jess. What an absolute p- pleasure to welcome you in and have your names put above the bar. Come in, have a cane toad as cane toad rock out. <sighs> wow, we made it. Hey, that brings us to the end of the episode, everyone. Thanks so much for sticking with me. It can be a little bit weird when you listen to one guy uh, talking, even though there are podcasts out there that are, that are just that. But um, usually there's three of us, and then there was only Matt and I, plus our fantastic guests, and then it was whittled down to me. me. But uh, you stuck with it, and I appreciate it. We'll all be back together next week. Um, but before that, you can get in contact with us at dogoonpod.com where there's links to suggest a topic. Anyone can do that. There's links to our Patreon. We can get those rewards and support the show. There's links to our social media, which are at dogoonpod. And you can email us, dogoonpod at gmail.com. But apart from that, that's it for me. I'll say thank you so much for listening. We'll be back, as I say, next week with another episode with the crew back together. But until then, I'll say thank you so much and goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.